All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. Was good. And Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 155 in full swing, full motion. We are so very happy to be here with you guys. And we are so very happy that you are here with us. Whether you're YouTubing, live streaming, or podcasting, we want to thank you for taking your time and letting us take some of your time as we talk about a lot of different sports because this is the time of year where things start to transition from the NFL season to the NFL offseason, and the NBA is starting to gear up for their playoffs. We're currently in the midst of their uh, all-star break in the NBA side of things. We have no idea what the hell is going on with the MLB. I would love to touch on that, but I think I'm just going to end up getting triggered like Eddie likes to get me in the Eddie hour when it comes to all things baseball. We have a full slate of conversation for you guys today. I promise you that. We have a great and special guest. Not even a guest. He's a family member of this show. Our guy, Shaggy Shane Williams from the Shaggy Shane Show that is going to come on here today in, a list, in just a little bit around 1230 today uh, to discuss some things that are going on for the Chiefs, all things related to Chiefs when it comes to what happened this season. We're going to get his takeaways from the AFC Championship. We're going to get his takeaways on this offseason and what has been speculated to be a very busy offseason for the Chiefs for free agents, maybe some trades, and definitely in the draft. And we have the Eddie Hour. We got some thoughts going on in the Super Bowl. We're going to recap on the Super Bowl in just a little bit. We're going to be handing out some L's. Like I said, we have a packed show for you guys today, so I hope you're strapped in and ready to go because I know I'm ready to go. I want to start with something, though, that's a little bit more on the serious side of things when it comes to the Chiefs. Just one previous week ago, just one previous episode ago, we had our guy, former Chief tight end and current Chief Concerns co-host, Jason Dunn on our show. And I asked him a very specific and deliberate question when it came to one member of the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff, and that is Eric Bieniemy. I posed the question to Trevor and Eddie from the very beginning of the show about what it is that we can take away and say, okay, this is why Eric Bieniemy does not have a head coaching job. This is why he can't get himself a head coaching job. I presented all these comparisons to other guys that are getting jobs across the league, other men that have had problems with their past getting jobs in the league, winning coach of the year in the NFL. And I couldn't come up with anything else other than race problems, other than the NFL still being so far behind and, and treating black, Hispanic, Asian coaches in this league as equals to white coaches in this league. And Jason Dunn and other people have felt the very same way, and I've left it to, I've left it there because of the fact that that's the only thing I could pinpoint as a reason because Eric Bieniemy has not only been the Chiefs OC through the last four seasons, it has been the most successful four-year stretch in Chiefs history. It made no sense. About four or five days ago, I had gotten tipped off. Uh, somebody that I trust very much uh, texted me and said, hey man, there's going to be a bombshell that's going to be dropped in the next couple of days, and it has to do with Eric Bieniemy. I'm thinking, okay, the Brian Flores lawsuit, Eric Bieniemy's attached to it, we're going to get some proof here that he's been racially profiled in this league. 
And I was preparing myself for it. I was trying to figure out what exactly I was going to say if, in fact, that was the case. And we get the bombshell. And it came from somebody that I've known for 10 years. I'm not going to release their name under the, the trust that they have given me. Uh, but, but it was somebody that I've trusted and have known for about a decade now. And this person felt very comfortable relaying these messages and, and giving out these uh, these anecdotes as, of, of previous ex previous experiences over the last two years for the Chiefs between Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, and other players and other coaches within the organization. And it goes into great detail as to what has actually happened and what has occurred and what could possibly be the ultimate detriment to Eric Bieniemy being able to move on and advance in his career and becoming a head coach. Now, if you haven't read it. Um, I, I recommend that you try and go and search for it yourself. We have posted it on the Spoken on our platform on both Twitter and on Facebook. So if you've gotten a chance, the article is still technically up. They did take it down from their platforms, but it is still available to find. And it's it's very detailed to say the least. It, it, it gives a lot of specific um, anecdotes as far as what took place all the way leading up to the AFC Championship this year and what the, what was going on with the play calling and issues that they've had within the organization of Eric Bieniemy, whether he's had quote-unquote way too much power or or had a, 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 a fall-through with him and Patrick Mahomes' relationship. There's a lot of accusations, a lot of issues that are brought up in this article. And the very next day after this was released... We saw in drones, uh, the, the local media, even guys at the national level, just completely shit on the report. Now, I try to view this from the outside looking in. I, I try to see it from a third-party view, view, uh, viewpoint. And, and, and if I was to see something like this released, especially as how the season ended so abruptly and so frustratingly, I would probably look at this and say, okay, there's not names on this. And I don't know these people. And these are humongous allegations and accusations against one Eric Bieniemy. There's already a racial tension involved with this situation as a whole. This is going to be kind of hard for me to believe. I get it. I understand that. But here's the thing that cracks me up about it all. And I'm not here to defend anybody, any one person, or to try to sit here and, and, and get anybody to believe what I'm saying or what these people have made, uh, out, put, what they've put out there on their in, in their article. But we've spent now the last, I would say safely, I don't know if you guys would agree, at least the last two years, trying to figure out why in the world Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job. And there has been a quick and steady and consistent dismissal that it has anything to do with race, that has anything to do with him not being able to have the not do the job correctly. People say he doesn't interview well, which is still up for debate. I mean, there's been reports about that, but I don't know how true that is because I haven't been a part of any of those interviews. But now it's this quick dismissal because of the fact of where it came from, this article. And if we're looking at it just from the naked eye, no matter what part of this you actually believe to be true, you have to admit to yourself that there's a lot of this, and this is me speaking to the people that have actually read the article, that actually does make sense. And why I say that is, if, in fact, it isn't a racist issue that is being dealt with when it comes to Eric Bieniemy not getting a head coaching job, then it has to be due to something that has gone on within the organization and him and problems that he is having with people inside the organization. I'm not here to make any accusations. I'm not here to tell you guys what is and what isn't. 
I'm here to tell you that there was information brought to me and others that we could corroborate and we pushed it on our platforms. Now, the truth will be presented in its own time. But this is something, again, that is being presented to us and to other people that, we, that, that are from people that we have trusted over the last 10 years. I don't know what's true and what's not true because, again, I'm not, I'm not associated with the Chiefs. I don't work for the Chiefs. I know people that work for the Chiefs. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys what is and what isn't. That's for you to decide what you believe. But to me, currently as it stands and what we have now known to be accused and what has been thrown out there, I'm here to tell you guys that if it isn't racism that has kept Eric Bieniemy from getting his job, then a lot of the things that were put in this article are things that I think make a lot of sense as to why there has been this hold holdback and hesitation from, from teams across the league to hire Eric Bieniemy to lead their team moving forward. Now, hopefully Eric Bieniemy does still get his chance because I do think considering everything, he still deserves a shot because we've seen people do far worse if in fact these things are true still get jobs and still become head coaches in this league. I think he's done a good enough job. I think the the Chiefs offense as we I just defended him a week ago said that this has been the best four-year stretch the Chiefs have ever had and he deserves credit for that. He has played a part in that. Otherwise, why would Andy Reid, why would the Chiefs hold on to him? There's a lot of questions I'm sure that people have about this, and I have been assured from same party members that those things will be presented in time by people that others want to trust. And I, I will say this, and I don't want to push back, and I want to get Trevor Nettie's thoughts on this particular subject, and then we can move on. But I do find it funny, <laughs> and I was talking to Trevor about this just yesterday, um, that there was this attack on it because it didn't come from people that have verified accounts and blue check marks on Twitter that because they didn't post it out there that it must just be fictitious it must just, it must just be a lie and then the very next day just yesterday we had rich ornberger a former uh, uh, san diego charger at the time and they, i believe he works at fox sports now coming out and saying that he's being told by his sources that patrick mahomes has told his family members in particular his fiance and his brother that he doesn't want them to go and get going to games anymore and less than an hour later, TMZ comes out and completely debunks that report. Not only do they debunk it, but then Patrick Mahomes himself comes out and says that people are straight up making things up about him and his family. That was from a verified account. This is from somebody that is supposed to be in the know. So here we are, making an accusation saying that these people that won't put their name on it technically are just making things up. But then we have this verified account of a man that we do know in the media that either completely fabricated the story himself or people that he's saying now, I the person that, that gave me this information posed as somebody I trusted is now trying to defer the blame. So we have a complete mess here. And again, I'm very confident that what I've been told, the truth is going to come out of what we've been told and what we've now seen on the on this specific article. But it's funny to me that, that, that local media and the national media want to attack and totally dismiss reports that are being made but then they won't say anything about these people that are on their same level making things up or, or presenting lies to the national to the national viewer, the audience members out there. I just find that very funny. And I think, again, once the dust settles, we're going to know what's true and what's not true. And if Eric Bieniemy is not the Chiefs OC this next year, I have a hard time believing that some of those things that were reported aren't true. Trevor, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm pro-truth, right, no matter the source. Um, and you can talk about credibility uh, like you just alluded to, there's been a lot of 
credited sources that are absolutely fabricating stories or just pushing out BS that is, is absolutely false. Um, so, I mean, you got to truth is truth no matter where it comes from, you know, and um, and I, if we, we can talk about the credibility of this source for this story. But I mean, if you want to talk about the credibility and the, and the, and the, the links that this source has done or has gone before, I mean, this is this is the guys, you know, this is the, the, the council that's been behind Save Our Chiefs. This is the council that's been behind, you know, the Tyreek story and were nailed it, uh, had information on it that was completely true before anyone else. Um, you know, and without the Save Our Chiefs movement, shit, we don't know if we'd be here right now. You know, with the success that we've uh, come to right now, we could be still be an extremely mediocre uh, franchise. Right. Who knows? Um, so there is credit due there. Um, I don't know if I believe everything that was written down yet. I don't know. There's still, I mean, like I said, I'm pro-truth. So, I mean, I'm sure. But what I do like about this is I, I feel that there probably is truth in this story. Um, uh, but I, I think what it does is it pushes the envelope for everyone else to start searching. And then now, now that there's words out there that this could possibly be true, yeah. someone's going to have to come out and correct and or elaborate. Right? So someone's going to have to come out and either add to it take away from it or lay out what actually happened. So either way, I feel like the truth is going to be there either way, push the envelope for that. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for people that, you know, put out content that, you know, and, and honestly, if we're going to, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, like that would be, that's far detailed for that just to be in a straight up lie. Right. right. That, that's, there's a lot of information in there, a lot of detail to a story for someone just to straight up be, you know, fiction for it just to be a fiction novel here, a fiction essay. So I think there's probably some truth to it. I don't know what parts are true to it or not. There's probably some parts that maybe not be as true as others. Who knows? I don't really know yet, um, which is I've been kind of holding fast to my system of how I go about, you know, what I think is true. But like I said, I think this is, uh, I think that's a great part of journalism, you know, because nowadays it is hard to trust the people at the top because there's always an agenda. I don't think there's an agenda here. I think there's, I think if there is an agenda, it's the, these guys want what's right for the team. And that's always been this council of writers. Yeah. This has always been their angle. Yeah. They they did save our Chiefs because our, we were in a dark place as Chiefs fans, right? So it's always been that. And they were trying to save the, the Tyreek story because there was an unreleased information by big you know outlets that weren't pushing that out and changing the narrative. So this from this angle, from these people, all I've known is they're trying to do the better good. So I'm going to kind of trust that this time. Uh, and give them the benefit of the doubt that there is truth to this. Um, and I like for me, man, I am a Chiefs fan through and through. I want what's best. I love Eric Bieniemy. I've loved him. We've done nothing but support and give this man high praise on this show. Um, and I'm still holding to that at this moment. I, I, but I mean, if he is, if some of these things are true, um, he's got to go. Right? This is this has got to that's got to be. You got to put that behind us. You know that that bridge might be burned. Um, and who knows? We might find out today that you know, the, supposedly with the meeting of him, Andy Reid, you know, whatever is to come of that, we'll find out the truth there. We'll find out what happens, what the outcome is there. But I want the I want what's best for the Chiefs, no matter what it is. I don't care who's got to go. I want success for this franchise. I don't care. About, I don't. It's always about the Chiefs first, no matter the name of the jersey, no matter the head coach name, no matter what it is. It's always the Chiefs first, and that's why I feel is the vibe coming from that article. They want people can call it a hit piece. People can call it whatever it is. And it sounds like I'm sitting here defending it like I wrote it myself, but that's not, it's just, I'm pro-truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I want I want what's best for this team. I want the truth to come out. Um, and I want the best guy for the job. And if it's not Eric Bannerman, if he's ruining things, and if he's causing a rift with the quarterback of our team, that this team is dependent on to lead the, you know, to guide the ship to get another championship, that's a problem for me. Uh, and that we need to cut that dead weight off. Um, 
and bring in fresh names and fresh voices. And, you know, I think that's the angle. I think that's where we're going to head. Um, but we'll see, man. Um, yeah. So I'm pro-truth. I want what's best for the Chiefs, first and foremost. Um, and we'll see where the chips lie, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Trevor on this one uh, with uh, uh, pro-truth. I mean, you always want to know, like, the real, like, what's happening, like, the truth behind everything. Uh, so it's always nice to for them not to hide anything, you know, just – the way they wrote this is it's crazy because it just put everything out there without, like, any, like, warning or anything. It's just a boom. Yeah. The, like, the definition of a bombshell. God damn. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to agree or disagree with this story because I don't know much information other than what they gave me. Yeah. Uh, I need more than just what they gave me because I, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not, like, not true. So... I want I want this article to to kind of like push forward that the people and come out and say is like well these parts are true or these parts are not true um, I was there or I wasn't there or this is what I've heard this is what I didn't hear just from just one uh, one source and that's all we got and then they deleted this this article or whatever they took it down it, it makes you even question this article a lot even a, a lot more I'm not saying it's not true of what they said. I'm sure some parts in their story are true and accurate, and maybe some other parts in that article are just blown out of proportion. So, by them taking this taking this down, it kind of made me question the validity of this article even more. So, I'm just waiting on more information to come out. I, I, I want to see if more people come out because I've seen players come out and start defending Eric Bieniemy. So I don't I I don't have a stand on on on. On this topic at all because I don't know if it's true if it's true then yeah I think it's time the Chiefs uh, move on from Eric Bieniemy. I all you since last week I said it was time to move on from yeah. Eric Bieniemy. I think a change in uh, philosophy in, uh, uh, philosophy uh, offensive coordinator that was one of my uh, unpopular opinions last week yeah for the Chiefs so I, I'm, I'm ready for this uh, for, for, a, for a move for a change in offensive coordinator but if this is the case to where all this story came out is true, then yeah, we we definitely need to change it. We definitely need to to get rid of that, uh, I guess, quote unquote, cancer of the team. Kind of like what they do with players and st- stuff like that when true. they're like they're a cancer to the locker room. Let me we need, to get, we need to get rid of that. Let me let me ask you guys another question because I I don't want to I don't want to spend a large majority of the show on this because again you're right both of you guys are right there's there is more to this that we need to to understand and learn I think what this editorial board did was present us with the facts they believe are they were presented by people that are very much in the know. Uh, I do know the person that I have known for ten years that's a part of this has been in uh, 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 very much attached to the Chiefs since the mid '90s. So this person very much knows people that are inside of things. And uh, my my question, I guess, in all of this is how much of this has to be true for you to believe that it's time for for Eric Bieniemy to go? Because my thing is, I think we all agree just from the naked eye and just from the football side of things, we all agreed it's probably time for the Chiefs to get a new OC to challenge Andy Reid and push him to do things a little bit differently. But now that this story, let's say let's say just 25% of it is true. Let's say that he really did have some of these issues with Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship. He really did try to change the game plan and make things look more favorable for himself because a part of this article states that 
Eric Bieniemy didn't like the dynamics that Patrick Mahomes would bring to the offense because it would take away from Eric Bieniemy's ability to get a head coaching job because the focus wasn't on what he was doing as an OC or what he was doing with the offense. So my question to you guys real quick is, how much of this has to be true? And in specifics, is there anything in particular that needs to be true in order for you to feel better about the Chiefs moving on from Eric Bieniemy? Uh, I'm going to go with 0%. I, like I mentioned last week, as an unpopular opinion, I think it's time to move on from a physical... No, nothing against Eric Bieniemy. He's yeah. such a such a great core coach. Uh, uh, what we know, what we know and what he's done to this team the past four years. But I think it's come to a, to a point where where they've uh, Patrick Mahomes and the offensive coordinator or the offense kind of came to a to a top to a to a limit, so you kind of need a change of philosophy, change of mind into the game. Kind of implement other things that Patrick uh, probably needs more work in or something. Not stay to the same basics over and over again. Obviously, uh, with time you have to change with it with 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 the time. Right. And we can't sit here and stand in the past. And we. As a soccer guy, we we've, we've I've seen so many uh, so many managers or head coaches stick to their uh, to their old ways, mm-hmm. and to uh, and now they're struggling in the new ways uh, because they don't adapt and don't adjust. So, to me, I think it's more of a something new, something fresh for this offense because they figured they figure uh, this offensive game plan, and it's the same game game plan for the past three four years. So. There has to be some change to it to kind of put teams on edge now even more because they can do even a lot more. So to me, this article, article or no article, I think it was time for the Chiefs to to move on from OC anyway. So Yeah, I mean, how much do, do I need it to be true? Um, <clears throat> the only part that I need to be true, that need for me to, to, make, to make a change, and I'm with you, Eddie, we were already kind of discussing, you know, do we need a change at OC? Do we need a change at DC? We discussed these things because mm-hmm. these are important uh, factors to uh, you know prolonged success. You know having new and fresh voices and new eyeballs on things because um, we all know it's very rare for OCs and DCs, spe- more specifically OCs, to remain an OC on one team for you know four or five years. Right. It's usually a couple, two to three years. A lot of them get head coaching jobs or they find another position somewhere else, or you know they or some of them get promoted to head coach. And the OCs and DCs get moved around a lot, and they don't usually. That's not a really long term. Um, you know, outside of like Joshua Daniels and a few other examples in, in the league that have um, hung around in those positions for a long term. Um, some of them leave and come back to that position. But either way, I'm with you on the fresh voice. I, I was already on that train before all this kind of came out. Um, and I and that's from a guy that loves Eric Bieniemy. But that doesn't always matter, right? Uh, you need you need a new fresh ideas. You need a new fresh voice. Eyeballs, what I got, like I've said, but. The one thing I need to be true for us to confirm why I would want to move on is the lack of adjustments, the stubbornness um, when they make it about themselves and what they want. Um, I'm, and I'm not saying this is what EB has done or what he's doing and what his mindset is, but just from the article, it's made it seem that way. Uh, there, if there's a rift between what Patrick wants to do on the field and what EB is trying to get him to do on the field. I don't want that distraction from my quarterback, the guy that's you know brought us to the promise, brought us to the promised land once and wants to do it numerous times. I don't want a hindrance of that. Um, so I think that's the main thing. I can deal with personal beefs at times. I mean, we've seen videos uh, in, 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 you know, in 2019 when Travis Kelsey and EB are shoving each other on this, or Travis Kelsey straight up shoving EB because they're having a beef on the sideline. 
Um, and then they went and won a Super Bowl after that. Right. You know what I mean? So we've seen those things. I can deal with that. That's a part of football, dude. Yeah. There's egos. There's there's anger. There's heat of the moment. That's all a part of sports. We've mm-hmm. seen it over and over again. Um, so, I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, the, the you know, Phil Jackson's and Greg Popovich and all these guys get in their guys' ass. They're star players, you know. So this feuds and, and, and personal beefs and moments and games and locker rooms and stuff like that, that's going to happen. There's going to be blow-ups. But what I can't happen is it infiltrating the game, it, it taking over the purity of the game of what we need to do as far as adjustments. The second half of that Bengals game was completely unacceptable. Yeah. No matter who's responsible for it, whether it was a collective, whether it was Andy Reid and EB that were lacking you know, in adjustments and not wanting to help put Pat in, in the best situ- situation to uh, – um, uh, you know, have success there, or if it was Patrick Mahomes, you know, needing to adjust, like we talked about, like what the biggest thing for this offseason. I mean, you both agreed that it's Patrick Mahomes and his mindset and what he's going to do after this failure, you know, so it could have been part of him too. But as far as OC, as far as EB goes, it's worth 100% for me if, if it's true that he was pushing his what he wanted to do to the detriment of the team. You got to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? We felt this way with Bob Sutton for years. And yeah. it finally it finally happened, but we wanted him to, you know, we were two years ahead of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? So, um, and it, it came to the detriment of the team, you know, because of that that, that AFC championship game and, and, you know, costing us with not having guys disciplined enough to stay in their position, not jumping off sides and costing us a Super Bowl trip. So, um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I need to be true is that he was the one, he was a big part of um, the absolute, absolutely – um, face palming of the second half in that uh, AFC Championship game. One more thing I want to say, and then we're going to move on to another specific uh, topic when it comes to the Chiefs that I'm actually going to bring up to Shaggy Shane as well, and it's a lot more positive. But one more thing I'll say about this is that this um, this title that the article is giving being given. You you addressed it. it's called the they're calling it a quote unquote hit piece. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. Last last off season, we knew that Eric Bieniemy's contract had expired with the Chiefs. And then quietly throughout the offseason, nothing had gone on. And then just quietly got a one-year deal with about a million dollars or so. And they just kind of went on as uh, you know as, as currently constructed. And then you saw the Chiefs offense really struggle and we couldn't figure out what it was. People were saying, well, it's a cover two defense they have to adjust. Which is, there is truth to that. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, if we're being honest, if we're sitting back and looking, like there, there's got to be something else though. Because cover two defenses aren't some new scheme. That, that the Chiefs have never seen before or never had to adapt to in the first place. So there was something else that had to have been going on. And again, I'm not trying to say, well, that must mean Eric Bieniemy was a problem. No, not saying that at all. But the fact that it was so quiet last offseason, they just gave him a one-year deal coming off of you know back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. And then this offseason, we're nearing March, and all we know is that Eric Bieniemy's contract has expired and the Chiefs are supposed to be have or haven't, maybe will, meet with him about the future uh, for me it's it's if, if he's your guy and he's the oc you want why why are the why are these last two off seasons been so weird and so vague and he's getting this one year it's like a like a prove it deal every time and if, if in fact he comes back this year which doesn't seem likely now if he comes back i can't imagine it's gonna be a long-term deal because again he's trying to get himself a head coaching yeah, job that's, that's what those extensions were for i'm sure i'm sure that is the case but here's my thing you can still void those contracts if in fact he becomes a head coach not like you have to pay him that money while he's coaching somewhere else the point is is it just it 
the article to me seems more and more, more, more and more relevant if I just do some backtracking myself. If I start to kind of just scrape back a little bit and kind of look at how things have gone, because the Chiefs are one of those franchises that likes to keep everything in house. Mm-hmm. And my point is, if in fact this is true, then that means the Chiefs wanted this out. Did they want it by their by their official platforms? Probably not. They didn't want that out there on their official platforms. But if this was to leak out, that means that somebody in the organization wanted it out. And I want to say this, though, too. When I read it, I was less mad at Eric Eric Berry, Eric Bieniemy, than I was the Chiefs and Andy Reid. I felt that this article more falls to the feet, this information more falls to the feet of the franchise and Andy Reid because of the power that was given to EB, apparently, uh, within his contract and what they put out there, you know, that he had uh, uh, veto, Autonomy, yeah. veto power to over, you know, like that, that, that part is honestly 100% for me is hard to believe that that's true. But if it is, yeah, someone wrote a, a bad contract. Mm-hmm. Someone gave him too much power uh, to, to veto calls, to have that power to override Andy Reid. Like that just can't, at no time should just, should you be able to over override you know the decisions on the field over the head coach. That's an OC either. Like, and I mean, yeah, I mean, what's been the narrative around AB and why a lot of times, and we can talk about the race thing, and that's one hundred percent verified in this league. There's a problem with that, and yeah. that's probably played into it as well. I'm not going to act like he's never gotten a job because there's obviously racism probably tied to that, along with the league and other teams. Not sure if he's the one actually that's the play caller for this team. Like I've said before on the show, this is Andy Reid's offense. The OC is more just a right hand to the offense that Andy Reid has created. Yeah. You know what I mean? But So who is really out there calling the calls? And apparently on this article, it's making it look like EB's been the one calling the calls and has the more of that power amongst the offense. And if, with the offense struggling this year, that a lot of that does fall on EB. But at the same time, someone's got to be able to like over, overtake that, that authority. Would it really shock you, though, though, if that was in fact the case when it comes to him having autonomy for the offensive calls? Because here's my thing. Yeah. We know Andy Reid. One, one thing about Andy Reid that, that people actually love is he gives you, he relinquishes power because if you look sense. at it, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't umbrella, like uh, be the umbrella coach of defense. Yeah. You notice a lot of times when Spags and Bob Sutton were running his defenses, where was he at? Yeah, he's on. He's yeah, on the he bench. Doesn't, he doesn't helicopter. Coach. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my point is, is if he knows, hey, we have a game plan in place. Eric Bieniemy is going to lead the ship during I games. Andy I writes the script. Yes. part of it. So yeah. that, that it actually does make. I'm not saying that, no, that it's, it's the right thing to do. What I'm saying is, if you look at the way Andy has coached, at least here in Kansas City. It would make sense that he's like, all right, you are going to be steering the ship. Yeah. I will override anything I feel is right, if I can, technically. Yeah. And Spags is going to run the defense. I'm not going to worry about it because I trust my assistants. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? And, like, that, and that makes sense for him really pushing for EB to get a job, too. For these last two extensions. Exactly. These last two contract extensions with him obviously having that power uh, to completely have ownership of the offense. That that would confirm that he has been the play caller. So if he does interviews, he can he can confirm that he has been the play caller, and the success is tied to him yeah. offensively. So that would make success. That would make sense for 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 Andy Reid to do that and put that in his contract. But I just feel like that's a little irresponsible well, for how the many franchise times, to do that. And how many times have we seen Andy Reid in press conferences? And I know it's coach speak a lot of times, but he's verbally he's verbally he's taking responsibility because that's just the kind of leader Andy is, and it drives me nuts half yeah. the time. Well, when the success but he gives he, EB the yes, he has said it though. He goes EB does call the plays, and if you watch the sidelines, yeah. you are seeing Eric Bieniemy calling the play into Patrick's head headset. Mm-hmm. So. 
again, we are keeping this very balanced and very nuanced. We're, we're, we, because that's what this is. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what has happened. All we do know is there is a report that is now officially out there, and we can't take that away. And now we see what the Chiefs want to do. If Eric Bieniemy's not back, I feel that there's a lot more credence that goes into the story than some people want to give off. I know it didn't come from a verified account, but that doesn't mean it ain't the truth. Because like Trevor mentioned earlier, the same people that dropped this story are the same people that have dropped stories before that were absolute nails. In particular, with the Tyreek Hill situation. These guys found out situ these guys found out information from very very close representation of Tyreek Hill that there were stories that had been put out there 3 years ago that local networks were sitting on and they wanted to build their own agenda and narrative off of them. They didn't give the full truth. You know who did give the full truth? I will give credit to 610 Sports Radio once they got the actual information, they dropped it and so did these guys. So I'm going to give credit to where credit is due. It doesn't matter if they have a blue check next to their name. If they're actor giving out accurate source source information and and news you got to be able to trust it. And again, I give the benefit of the doubt to the people that have told me the truth. And that's where I leave it. I want to get to something a lot more positive because there are a lot of positives this offseason for the Chiefs. And I hope you guys are excited because I think Brett Veach is going to absolutely have a great offseason, guys. I think he's going to rebuild this defense. We need it. I think he's going to do a lot of great things. We've seen him, what he's done in the last two drafts. I think he's going to build off that as well. But I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because Eddie and I were talking before the show about, hey, when are we going to start talking draft? I want to talk about the draft coming up, but I'm not ready to talk about the draft just yet. I want to talk about free agency because free agency is coming up very, very soon. It's going to be in about uh, three weeks. I want to say free agency starts in about three, three and a half weeks, if I'm not mistaken, right in the middle of March when the new league, new league year begins. So Mike Gennetti, uh, the founder of Spot Track, the source that I go to for everything when it comes to contracts, when it comes to uh, salary caps, all that stuff. They are the best. Go to SpotTrack.com. You guys will love them. Uh, Mike Gennetti actually went on Fox 10 this week, and he was talking about the, the current situation with the Chiefs. So the Chiefs currently sit at about $14 million in cap space. That's before the uh, inevitable rise that the cap's going to go up league-wide. So we don't even know what that's going to be. But it's going to be, I would say, rather lucrative for all teams. So he painted some scenarios for the Chiefs to make some some real legitimate cap space. I know we talked a little bit about this before, but this is in finer detail. So according to Mike Gennetti of SpotRack, the Chiefs can create over $30 million in cap space by just simply cutting Anthony Hitchens, Frank Clark, and restructuring Joe Tooney and possibly even Chris Jones. So those are three or four moves right there that you're saving over $30 million. That's before Patrick Mahomes even gets his restructure that will be inevitable, by the way. They are going to restructure his deal, and that's going to open up around $25 to $27 million for the Chiefs. So there you're looking at over $50 to $60 million in cap space. And again, that's before we know what the cap structure is going to be league-wide once, once that goes up, which it will go up. So the Chiefs could be looking at anywhere from 50 to 90 plus million dollars in cap space. Now, they're going to have to spend some money pretty quickly. They're going to have to either give a long-term deal and or uh, franchise tag Orlando Brown Jr. They're having to, they're they're more than likely going to be really entertaining a, a Tyron Matthew extension, which is going to be lucrative as well. He's going to demand at least 60 million dollars over a four-year, four to five-year deal. You're looking at free agents that you're going to have to sign, and this is actually where I want to go to because. I don't believe, as crazy as this sounds, there there are a lot of needs this team has from both free agency, trades, and in the draft. 
But one of the bigger wants to me is, is wide receiver. I don't think this is a, a requirement. Like the Chiefs have to go get a big wide receiver. But I do believe that Brett Veach has to not miss on a guy, on a want. This is a big want is wide receiver. And there are a plethora of guys out there. I know there's been the trade speculation about going and getting Calvin Ridley. Guys, I like Calvin Ridley a lot. But he's in his he's getting into his late 20s now. He's had injury concerns and he's had some mental health problems. I'm not saying he isn't a guy the Chiefs couldn't use. But there are better options to me in free agency that you can get. And the best part about what Janetti also said is that there are going to be top-tier free agent wide receivers like Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster that are going to wait until the 2023 offseason to go and get go and get cashed out. Because according to what they're saying, they're anticipating that the cap's going to go even more up league-wide in 2023, which means you go and cash out in 2023. Yeah. Which means that these kind of guys are going to go and get one-year deals and try to ball out on a good in a good Contract offense, years. maybe try to get to the Super Bowl, get that tax on that. You know, hey, I was in the Super Bowl. I got 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. Pay me a five-year, $120 million deal. Yeah. That's what these guys are going to look at. You know who that benefits the most? Teams like the Chiefs. A team like them that just needs to retool. Not rebuild, just retool for a one-year structure. Guys, I truly believe, based on what Mike Genetti has told us, I think it's almost it's, it's almost inevitable that either Allen Robinson or Drew Smith-Schuster is a chief this next year. I know I texted you both that. I do genuinely believe that. I think Allen Robinson makes so much sense. I didn't. I had him in my list. Juju was at the top of my list because I felt like he was the most realistic because I felt like he was the kind of guy that was going to get a one-year deal. But now that Allen Robinson is reportedly going to be one of those guys at 28 years old who is the perfect, he's everything Josh Gordon that people wanted Josh Gordon to be. Because Allen Robinson's a big receiver. He can play X that would move Tyreek Moore into the slot where he can absolutely eat. There are so many things this offense can do if they just simply added a guy like Allen Robinson. I think there's a great chance, and I mean a great chance, that one of these two guys are there. If I had a vote right now of who I'd want between the two, even though Allen Robinson's the older receiver, I think he's the guy that's more perfect for this offense and more suited to come in and step in right away and be a reliable asset to this offense, I would pick Allen Robinson. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, either one of them. Uh, I don't really have one over the other. I, I I think I like the youth of Juju, and I think I like the his strengths a little more. I think he's really good over the middle. Yeah. And we've kind of missed that since Sammy Watkins. That's what was so great about Sammy Watkins, you know, up the seam. And that would allow Tyreek to be more on the outside and be more of what he truly is, that field stretcher yeah. and elite talent with the ball in his hand. So, Because uh, we didn't see that much at all this year, a lot of the deep shots with the uh, – with Tyreek from Patrick Mahomes, we didn't get a lot of that because they had Tyreek playing a lot of underneath, a lot of uh, quick outs and things like that, which is effective too because he's so dangerous with the ball in his hands. But we need we need Tyreek doing what he does best. It's burning guys, even if it's double coverage, burning pass and letting Pat just chuck the ball and let him go track that ball down because we missed that. That's That explosiveness, I know they played cover two, but if you got two guys on the outside and one of them is McCole, one of them is Tyreek, Cover two is gonna have some trouble. Yeah. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you. I don't care if you have help over the top. Those two guys. Those that speed is deadly. Even if there's two guys there. Um, so having a really elite player, I think, go over the middle. Um, and I think Juju's got that. He's he's got a strong base, big strong legs. He's very good with the ball in his hands as well. Strong, sure-handed guy. But I mean, Allen Robinson as well. Another guy's a good, a good deep threat. So if you have Allen Robinson and Tyreek on the outside. On either side of the field, that's dangerous as hell. He's really good in the red zone. Good get up and get a guy. Great ball tracking skills. Still fast, um, but has had his end as well in his career. Um, and he's he's definitely. It seems like he's lost a step, but at the same time, he's been in a bad situation. Look at the yeah. Look at the quarterbacks he's had. He had Jacksonville, yeah. he had Blake Bortles. Yeah, and then he goes to Chicago. I will say, I will say though, he he was getting outshined by Darnell Mooney, who I believe is a legit receiver in this league now. I think Darnell Mooney is a star. 
Um, it just depends on the quarterback's situation. It hasn't been a good quarterback situation, but Darnell Mooney was finding ways to shine over there while Al Robinson was not doing much. Um, so that's kind of a concern a little bit for me. I, I still I, I think Juju's the best fit, me personally. Um, but there, there's going to be other guys. I think Calvin Ridley would be a good fit too. I think he would fit perfectly into this offense, honestly, with his speed and his ability to do things with the ball in his hands. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with Amari Cooper. There's been a lot of rumors that the, the, the Cowboys are going to cut, cut bait with him. If that happens, I think, that, Lawrence. I think the Chiefs need a fun way to get Amari Cooper. He's probably going to be a lot more expensive. I understand, but dude, money's funny in the NFL. Mm-hmm. If we can get Amari Cooper, and I, I do think the Raiders will try to get him back as well because I think the Raiders can going to be fishing for a, another receiver too. They're definitely going to need one. Um, so don't be surprised if the Raiders make a splash for wide sure. receiver move. So they're going to be in the hunt, and we want to k- try to keep talent from going to the Raiders as well because we know that they're in the, they're kind of steering towards the right direction. Um, they, they, play, they they downgraded it head coach for sure for sure. But uh, Derek Carr is playing some of his best, if not his best, football right now, and that team's kind of and the, what they overcame last year uh, was impressive. So yeah. if they can take that next step this year. They're going to be a competitive team, I believe. Um, and that's the most credit I've given the Raiders in a long time. But um, I, yeah, I think I think Juju is the best fit. I think he's the most motivated because he's still got a, a lot of years ahead of him yeah. uh, to get the biggest contract probably of, of all these guys because uh, Amari's got his big contract. Uh, a Rob's been paid in this league. Juju hasn't really had a big contract yet. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think he's getting one this offseason. Well, but I mean, but if he does sign with the Chiefs, that might be his oh, best for, opportunity to for sure. you know launch into that that next tier of his career. Yep. So I think that I think it makes sense for both sides with Juju, and I think he's a great fit. Honestly, I like I just like his capabilities, what he can bring. It's a similar because he's a similar dynamic to what I think Sammy Watkins brought. A sure-handed guy, strong runner. Hard to bring down, really good over the middle, really good up the seam. I think he would open up a lot of things to this offense. But granted, <laughs> either one of these guys, Calvin Ridley, A-Rob, I love all these guys. Uh, bringing another elite talent into this team uh, in the passing game along, you know, the McCall Hardman, who I believe is going to be here still, uh, and Tyreek and Travis Kelsey, it's it's a win-win. Like you said, this is not a need, this is a want. Yes. So uh, either one of these guys, honestly, I'll be happy with. I would rather take Allen Robinson. Uh, not 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 no, to, yeah. not not that Juju's not a, a great a great fit for the for the Chiefs. Yeah. It's just I don't know where his mind is. Uh, one hundred percent. I don't know if his mind mind is more focused into like uh, himself and and getting that big money or because the Chiefs tried last year and they they tried so hard that even Andy Reid called him and you know it's like let's get a Super Bowl and all this stuff mm-hmm. and he rejected the Chiefs. He's loyal, man. Yeah, I, I, I can be mad I, about that. I, I get it, but but I mean, like, what what what's gonna change between last year and this year? I guess you get a new quarterback and what whatnot. Why is your loyal loyalty gonna change from last year to this year? Right. You know what I mean? So, I expect Juju maybe to keep uh, to sign a big deal with the with the Steelers now that the Steelers don't have uh, Big Ben or a face of the team as it currently stands. So I think. What the Steelers can probably do is kind of sign Juju to become that kind of the face while they transition into a, a contending team once again. But it's going to be a, a couple of years from now, a few years from now, that I, I can see the, the Steelers even com- competing. So I can see the Steelers saying, hey, you, you can be the face of the franchise. And you know how he likes his brand exposure. Uh, Juju lo- loves his brand, mm-hmm. loves that exposure. So I can see Juju just saying, put in... in in Pittsburgh, so you like Allen Robinson because he's Robinson, more focused he, he, yeah, on football. And he's, he's a he's a bigger receiver, like you alluded to, mm-hmm. kind of like that. What people wanted Jordan to be. So I, I feel like the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs offense kind of likes that style of player because of Sammy Watkins, and then you have J. 
obviously you went out there and kind of got Josh Gordon, hope, hoping he became kind of like what uh, Sammy Watkins was to the Chiefs. So Allen Robinson, like you said, is a more perfect fit for this team as it currently stands. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and when it comes to other aspects of spending money in this offseason, again, I think Tyron Matthew and the Chiefs, there's going to be a lot to be considered on that one. I think what the Chiefs now deliberately have shown us is that they're going to let him go and see the market and see what other teams are offering. And then he's going to come back to the Chiefs and say, hey, look, these teams are offering me this. And then the Chiefs will say, okay, either we're going to match that or we're going to give you below that. And if you want to stay here, you'll take this. If not, we wish you the best and thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm a little torn on that one uh, because, again, I think that this defense could <laughs> – could really use keeping Tyron Matthew. I think it's a, that's a big hole to fill because you've seen how lost this defense has looked in week one against a bad Browns offense, who was bad all year long, by the way, except when they played the Chiefs. And then you look at uh, the, the way he, they played with against with Josh Allen and the Bills. Now, granted, you're going to play Josh Allen and the Bills. They're going to put up points and more, more times than not. But you saw the difference in what they did attack-wise. If I was to, and I'm just going to throw this out here. You guys don't have to comment on it because I have another theory that I have as well on the defensive side. Um, if I'm the Chiefs and, and I'm speculating on what what Tyron Matthews is going to get in the market, I'm coming to him and I'm saying, look, I'm going to offer you a five year deal and I'm going to give you over sixty to sixty five million dollars. But here's here's the caveat, okay? Brett Veach is notorious for this, and some of these younger GMs are also notorious for this. They might have this big amount of years attached to the contract, but it's really only two to three years of them guaranteed. So what I do with the Tyron Matthew contract is I say, I'm giving you five years, but only three of them are fully guaranteed, and it's the first three. And that way, if he's 31, 32 years old by the end of this contract, or by the end of year three, you can say... Okay, we only have a three to five million dollar cap hit now. He's 32, 33 years old. He's gotten, he's lost a couple steps at this point. Yeah. He's had an injury or two. Hopefully not. We're going to cut ties now, and it makes a lot of sense at that point. And the because Chiefs have the leverage because Tyron wants to be here. Exactly. And you know a player made wants that to be vocal. here. The leverage is on. And the, I do, the I do hands. believe, I do believe the Chiefs want to keep Tyron. And I, I think both sides want to be the, here. The yeah. problem is that the the way they presented it to the to the to the outside hasn't been very good. It hasn't shown a vote of confidence. Well, and Tyron's very cryptic and he's hard to read sometimes. Sometimes what yes. he's feeling because sometimes you're like, oh, does he want to go to Baltimore? I see purple <laughs> hearts on Twitter. You know, what I mean, like it's it's tough to. He definitely wants to be here. I think what yeah. the Chiefs are going to do is say, all right, go out there. See what teams will offer, and there will be a very big market for him. Oh. The Ravens will be there, the Colts will be there for him, the Seahawks will be there. There's a lot of teams. The Raiders will want the that Raiders too. will definitely yeah. be on there. There are teams that are going to be offering him a lot of money. But if let's say teams are offering him 17 to 18 million a year, the Chiefs. family being involved in the community like they have been i think he would stay here for that what whatever happens we'll find out i think it's going to be in the coming weeks that we're going to find out if the chiefs are going to keep tyron Matt. i don't think this one's going to drag into the april and may i don't think that's going to happen i think we're going to find out in which March. one do you think happens first though i think orlando brown probably gets his first orlando brown is 100 i think what happens you he's see getting he's going to get tagged this year. yes you see tagged. you see patrick Mahomes in the summertime get his restructure you yeah. see anthony hitchens frank clark guys like that be moved on save <laughs> some cap money but orlando brown is going to probably be the first move the Chiefs make when it comes to franchise tag him. Hopefully, if they franchise tag him, they then turn around and give him a five-year deal worth, worth $115 million. I, I think million he would dollars. be franchise tagged like at the beginning of the league year. I think yeah. that's when they can start franchise tagging people. Or I can't remember what they yes. tagged it. Yeah, the league year, they can start yeah. franchise tagging. So they're going to franchise tag him. And I think they're going to work on a deal between now and uh, training camp, which a deal could be I would be love done. that. Yeah, but I think a deal could be done by then. So this is, so. A, this is a theory I put out there um, on Twitter and on Facebook. 
And I got a lot of responses on it, both sides, people thinking it's absolutely absurd, people thinking it was absolutely great. But this is why you put stuff out there that you believe. So I, I think that it would be great to see the Chiefs sign Von Miller. I think it would be awesome to see him come here to Kansas City and help be a veteran pass rusher. I think getting Melvin Gordon or Melvin uh, Ingram would be great as well. I think those guys could help this team very much so. Um, but one thing I don't want to see the Chiefs do, <coughs> excuse me, one thing I don't want to see the Chiefs do is sit at thirty at their 30, the 30th overall draft pick and take a defensive that. lineman or yeah. an edge rush and expect him to come in here day one and, and be a legitimate contributor. Because unless it's Lawrence Taylor or, or a great all-time guy that you're getting at 30, which usually doesn't happen outside of maybe T.J. Watt, that's not realistic. What is realistic, though, is doing what Brett Veach is best known to do, and that's trade out of that pick. I mean, guys, since 2018... The Chiefs have only drafted a first-round pick once, and it was at 32 in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Mm. And I think if we're all being honest, like we've talked about before, we would go back and say, let's take someone else and let's trade out of that pick. Absolutely. I love Clyde, but it's just the truth. He's been a he's given third, fourth, fourth-round quality of content, you know, or uh, contributions yeah. to this point. And that's not a diss. It's just the truth. Clyde's been hurt a lot, and he's not been very great. He's been good, but not great. I think the Chiefs should try their best and try to trade for Josh Allen out of Jacksonville. And here's the reason why. I'm going to break it down because I have some of the stuff broken down. So the Chiefs traded for a first and a second round pick. While sw- they, they traded a first and a second round pick while swapping third round picks with the Seahawks for Frank Clark just three off seasons ago. And although the trade didn't fully live up to expectations and Clark didn't fully live up to his contract, he was a key catalyst in the Chiefs winning their Super Bowl in 2019. Josh Allen, to me, is the type of player that would do that for the Chiefs moving forward and, quite frankly, at a higher level than Frank Clark ever could because I think he's the better player. And here's my example. Through the first three seasons in the NFL, Frank Clark only made 17 starts, had 21 sacks, which was good. He had 95 tackles, 24 tackles for loss with 45 quarterback hits. That's that's good. Um, Josh Allen had 26 starts. He had one interception to just throw it in there. He had 20 and a half sacks, just a half sack below Frank Clark, with 128 tackles, which is 33 more tackles, 25 tackles for loss, which is the exact same amount, and three more quarterback hits with 48. And here's the difference. Frank Clark had advantages that Josh Allen's never had. See, in his first three years with Seattle, Frank Clark had the first, third, and 14th ranked defenses. In his first three seasons, Josh Allen's had the 21st, 31st, and 28th ranked defenses. So he's had to do a lot of this stuff on his own at times. The Jacksonville Jaguars haven't had a great defense around him. Josh Allen performed just as well, if not better, overall than Flank Clark, despite clearly having less around him. Not to mention 78 quarterback pressures, 26 hurries, and 32 quarterback knockdowns. It's unknown exactly... What the Jaguars would require in return for Josh Allen, but I would gladly move off the 30th overall pick for Josh Allen. Even if the Chiefs have to sweeten the pot with a couple additional picks, I think he's well worth it. And I, here's here's what I would offer. I would offer the Jaguars a trade very similar to the one they gave the Seahawks for Frank Clark. I would give them a first and a second round pick and then swap picks if they want to or just give them an additional mid-round pick because the Chiefs have, I think, uh, was it six third-round picks going into these next two drafts. Yeah. So I would give up multiple third-round picks in order to get Josh Allen if that's what it took. And the Chiefs currently, like I said about the third-round picks, if the, if the Jaguars required that first one of the Chiefs' two-thirds and an additional pick, I think it's a, a common-sense decision to make. You have to pull that trigger. And with Frank Clark almost certainly coming off the books this offseason, with the cap going up, the Chiefs restructuring current contracts with Mahomes and others, with that cap space, 
The primary focus is to get what? An edge rush. Well, Josh Allen is not even 25 years old yet. This is a guy that you can build your defense around Just at this point. Prime. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you get a veteran kind of guy like Von Miller or Melvin Ingram to come back. You really help him take some of that off. Chris Jones as well would be a humongous beneficiary of that. And uh, as according to SpotRack, again, the, the source I trust the most, Josh Allen's current market sits at a four-year, $63 million deal. To me, that's a steal, guys, for a guy that I think has is, is on the cusp of becoming an elite pass rusher in this league. Mm. Um, and here's the biggest thing about Josh Allen. The reason I love him so much is against great offenses, he is shined. You saw what he did against the Buffalo Bills this year. He held Josh, the other Josh Allen, yeah. to six points in a loss. It's almost, so, almost single-handedly. Yeah. yeah. So, again, the Chiefs... And a pick. The, and a pick yeah. Here's the thing. The Chiefs can play it safe and just draft at 30 or do whatever they do and just sign a couple other veteran free agents. I don't think that's Brett Veach's style, though. And... The Rams, another team that just won the Super Bowl that, that has a similar style to how the Chiefs do things in the offseason, yep. they haven't selected a first-round pick since 2016. That was Jared Goff, who they traded away this last offseason. Upgraded with Matt Stafford, won a Super Bowl. The Chiefs, have been, the Rams and Chiefs have been doing combined four Super Bowls in just the last five seasons. Mm -hmm. Just the last five seasons, or four, four seasons. The Chiefs have selected one time in the first round. Again, it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So, again... These aren't the first round picks aren't the same. If the Chiefs were selecting 11th or 12th, I'd be like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe they should stay there or trade out of it and get a ton more picks. You know, be a little bit more conservative. When you're a retooling team as opposed to a rebuilding team, you have to look at these picks a lot differently, especially when you're drafting at the back end of the first round. And the Jaguars have two years of control left on Josh Allen's rookie contract if and when they decide to pick up that fifth-year option, which I'd imagine they would. If they believe that Peterson, Doug Peterson, their new head coach, can turn them around around quickly, then I can see them refusing to trade him because, again, he's such, an, he's such a great player. But I'm convinced that, that compiling picks is their current goal as a franchise in, in Jacksonville to try to give Trevor Lawrence more weapons, try to build around him a little bit more. Uh, plus, a change of scenery and a legitimate chance to win for the first time in his career while getting paid $16 million per year seems pretty ideal for Josh Allen. So this trade makes sense, makes sense for all three parties involved. And I know this is a long way to go. We still have a couple months probably until this type of trade would happen. Probably trade happen around the draft, draft time. Yeah. But here's the other thing, guys. I don't know if you remember, but the Chiefs just signed a defensive line coach from where? Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Yep. Colin. He's the, he's the guy that came here from Jacksonville. Also, and he was their DC. And he was their so. defense. Yeah. And here's the other thing: who just took over their head coaching job? Doug Peterson. Right. Where did Doug Peterson start his offensive head coaching or uh, offensive coordinator position? Kansas City. A little handshake deal. Yeah, yeah. little handshake deal. Yeah. So I'm not sitting here saying that because the dots connect that they're gonna connect and they're it's all yeah. gonna happen. The, again, the Jags can say no. We not we're not trading Josh Allen because he's 24 years old and we want to pay him and we want to build around him all these other things. But if there is interest, if there's common interest, because according to, to Fowler and these other reporters across the league, Ian Rappaport, they're all saying, expect the Chiefs to make a massive splash. Going and signing a Chandler Jones, going and signing guys like De Dexter Fowler and guys like that, Dante Fowler, I'm sorry, going and signing these kind of guys would be considered a splash. You want to talk about a, a, an absolute bomb? It'd be going and trading for Josh Allen. And again, you have the assets. You have the cap space. And if you're trying to significantly change the infrastructure of this defense, going and getting a young, proven talent like Josh Allen far surpasses going and drafting your own guy and hoping for the best. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Before you even made that, when you put that out there in the group, um, I, that's one of the guys I wanted to target. Because um, as much as we want to 
you know, look at the Chandler Joneses and the Von Millers and these guys that are, you know, experienced and veteran that'll be cheap on the cheaper side, which will definitely contribute. I want a young stud. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why I wanted to go defensive heavy in this draft, get some defensive linemen and some another linebacker and a safety in this draft, uh, possibly a corner. I don't want to go defense all the way. And I, that's what I fully expect. You know, the way that we completely revamped this offensive line this past offseason, Veach killed it and nailed it at every spot. I think I'm expecting him to attack this defensive line the same way. Yes. So getting a guy like Josh Allen, getting off, getting Frank Clark off the books. And look, if they find a way to keep Frank Clark here and he restructures his contract and stays in the books here on a much cheaper uh, level, I'm fine with that too because I am a Frank Clark fan. I do like Frank Clark, even though I do believe he underperformed um, this past season, especially during the year and not being able to stay healthy. And that's been a problem. I still think he contributes on a good level. He's very, still very good at setting the edge, still very good at what he does. But finishing plays defensively was a big struggle this year. And I think cleaning house and some of these guys that were failing at finishing. I mean, Chris Jones is not excluded from this as well. So Chris Jones has got to get his shit together as well, finishing sacks. Um, so And it starts with him. This off, this defensive line starts and, and, and moves with him. He's the initial gear that gets this defensive line, the pressure, uh, you know, uh, started. So he's got to get his shit together too. But I think Josh Allen would be the perfect fit here. A young guy that's going to go from the maybe the worst team in football to arguably the best team in football. Uh, heading into this next season, the Super Bowl favorite already for this next season. Um, that would be not only is he looking for you know to to, to as a launch pad uh, spot in his career, getting paid you know big time bucks, um, but also becoming a, maybe a young champion in this league um, and making a true name for himself because a lot he gets lost in the sauce a lot of times um, in the mix, I guess I should say, being stuck in Jacksonville. You know, there's a lot of talented guys in Jacksonville that don't really get a lot of notice. Uh, because of where they're at. So if he comes to Kansas City, he can not only make a big name for himself, he can just, just completely reinvent his career and find success. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything you stated about Josh Allen is a perfect fit. Uh, I would, If that's a scenario that happens, I would be extremely ecstatic because um, I would personally obviously take him over Frank Clark at this point. Um, he's the more productive player and been in a much worse spot like you alluded to. So, um, yeah, man. If there's any name out there that I would want to take, it would definitely be Josh Allen, just for the fact that he's just reaching his best years. I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. And we've seen massive success against Josh Allen, you know, playing against Josh Allen. So um, having that guy that can possibly get into the head of, you know, our, maybe our arch nemesis at this point, which is Josh Allen and the Bills, having a guy that's had success against him single-handedly yeah. um, and, you know, that's just that's just another kind of a, a key to the cog of you know what that signing would mean to the Chiefs. So yeah, man, like I said, I'm right there, lock and step with you on that signing for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Uh, the Chiefs need need and have to make a big big move this this off season. I think that would be one of the biggest moves that they can make this off season. They need as much as defensive help as they can get. Uh, Chris Jones cannot do this all by himself. Like I said, we saw this at the Super Bowl. Chris Jones was getting to the quarterback, but he just couldn't couldn't finish the tackle. And he didn't have the support to where he put the pressure on the quarterback to where the quarterback didn't know where to go. And there was no other Chiefs player yeah. to help him yeah. there and finish the play. Yeah, yeah. we needed Melvin Ingram to come in and be the guy. Be, yeah. That's not that's not what you want. You so, know what I mean? So, yeah. So, I, I think it's it, it, that would that would fit so perfect in this defense because not only it would elevate his his play, his his himself uh, it would help him get a big contract, and it would also uh, help facilitate things for Chris Jones because now that the offensive lines have to focus on not just Chris Jones, but now you're going to have to focus on Josh Allen uh, putting that pressure on the quarterback. So 
the Chiefs have to have to make a big move, and I think this is that move that they have to make. And I'll say, I'll say yeah, this yeah. just real quick. You talk about maybe trading down, which I'm always cool with too, because the second, third round are usually the sweet spots of the draft. Yeah. Um, and it depends on, you know, if it's an offensive or a defensive heavy draft. But I think there's a lot more good defensive players in this draft than there is offensive players. Um, so I, I, I think there's actually a scenario too where we could try to make a trade for a Josh Allen or another splash defensive lineman and trading up into the draft and taking another defensive lineman. I think that's also a scenario too that we can move up in the draft and trade, you know, maybe make some moves and maybe a Frank Clark move that goes somewhere else and we move up in the draft. I think there's that scenario too where Veach can get aggressive the other way and try to move up in the draft and there's a defensive lineman that he likes yeah. up there. I think that's also a possibility too because I, I, I want our first pick. In my mind, I know we'll get into the draft stuff. Sure. we got a lot of time to talk about that. I want another young stallion defensive lineman out of this draft. Yeah. You know, I know we he swung and missed with uh, uh, what's the name of this first pick, uh, Braylon Bre- Speaks. Yes, yeah, so Speaks. But I mean that that. But if he would have played out and been well and have been a good player in this team, yeah. we would have loved him for it. But he he swung and missed. You know, but. I'll give I'll give Veach the benefit of the doubt because again he's had back to back really good drafts. This last one especially, my God. Yeah. So if that's what he wants to do, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to get it right. I am going to be a little more nervous about that, though, because of the fact that when we've seen him draft defensive linemen, yeah. it hasn't panned out. We saw oh, the he, Patriots. He's, he's, he's aware of that, too. We saw the so Patriots, he he yeah. make up for that. When the Patriots draft wide receivers, they don't do well. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they go and get free agents, they go and sign Randy Moss, yeah. they knock it out of the park. It's definitely so, easier to, to know a proven commodity in the league and go I, pick up a free agent. I will piggyback off what you're saying, though, and say this, that I do believe that there is a better chance, a significantly better better chance that one or two things happen more so than them staying 30 overall yeah. just saving pat yeah they do trade up trade down like you're saying and get aggressive or they do trade that pick for a guy like josh allen mm-hmm. I, now there will be other guys come available we're going to see other cap casualties happens and darius smith's going to be one of those guys mm-hmm. there's gonna be other guys the chiefs can and we can sit here and go oh well you know maybe that might be the guy but look at it again it, it checks all the boxes. The connections between the coaching staff with Doug Peterson, with Colin, with those guys coming from Kansas City or now in Kansas City. The fact that Josh Allen is so young, so proven, and the Chiefs have the money and the structure to be able to give him a long-term deal. There's a lot that just goes into this that could really benefit the other team. And the Chiefs can send out three, four big-time picks to the Jaguars yeah. who are also going to need those picks because they've been making some trades too. They can compile those. Doug Peterson can really build the team the way he wants to build it. And every makes out i think this is just perfect for everybody we shall see how it goes because again yeah. we're just till february we got some months to go but i wanted to cast that out there as soon as i could in order for people to kind of get an idea of where i stand on things and where i'd like to see the chiefs go because one thing i love about brett veach and i know this sounds a little weird to say but there's this accusation of him overcorrecting this last offseason with the offensive line and just going out and just going nuts but did that not benefit the Chiefs significantly? Did Patrick Mahomes not have one of his best seasons on the NFL? I know people say, well, he struggled. I think there was a lot more context. Not but it wasn't because Yeah, no. it wasn't because of the offensive line, though. Like, we weren't sitting here going, God damn it, man. They just can't protect Patrick. That never happened no. this season. Yeah. We never once sat here and go, man, Patrick just could not get protection. Well, speaking of that the O-line, I do, as far as uh, circle back to wide receiver, we should definitely trade Creed Humphrey for T. Higgins. <laughs> That's definitely something we should do. <laughs> but yeah, those hypotheticals are just so bad. I like hypotheticals, but those ones are just so bad because the two most important things on this team, if the Chiefs want to win Super Bowls, yeah. is Patrick Mahomes and protecting Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So we're not even having I, the best I, center I, in football for the best I don't want to hear it. Football is kind I, of I do not, yeah, he graded out better than any rookie, including Jamar Chase this year, by the way. He had a 91.6 grade on his season. I don't want to hear nothing about Trade and Creed or Trey Pancake Papa Smith. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. So um, the, the thing I want to.
I love about Brett Veach is that, again, he overcorrects, and I would rather have a GM that overcorrects than undercorrects. If he sat there and goes, I mean, I guess we can go and sign Joe Tooney. Let's lowball him. I'm not trading for Orlando Brown because I'd rather have the picks. Let's just risk it at left tackle and just see what happens because Patrick can create it with his feet, right? No. I'm so happy yeah. that he did things the way he did this offseason, this offseason, and I hope he does the exact same thing on the defensive line this year because let's let's just put it into context, guys. The one Super Bowl the Chiefs won, they had a seven-ranked defense. Tom Brady, who won seven championships, never never won a Super Bowl without a top eight defense. Right. So the Chiefs need to get as good of a defense and as great of a defense as possible. Because you give Ch you give Patrick Mahomes a, a top six defense, top seven defense again next year, Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl. That's really as simple as it is. Because you don't have a better quarterback coach duo, and if you give them an elite defense and everyone stays healthy, or the majority of these core players stay healthy. The Chiefs are the best team in football. That's just period, point blank. Other teams can make moves, this, 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 but I will not bet against. I will not bet on anybody else over the Chiefs I mean, if you give them that. Yeah, type there's of a defense. reason they're already the favorite right now for the win the Super Bowl next year. They're already the favorite, right. so I mean things will change, obviously. But yeah, I mean. Well, before we get to our guy Shaggy Shane, which will be on momentarily, I do want to move to our guy Eddie in the Eddie Hour. I know he's always got thought-provoking questions. Eddie, provoke the shit out of us. What's in the oh, Eddie Hour? Shit, man. Provoke. <laughs> Brain busters. No. We have a comment that has a good question. Uh, it, it, his name is uh, Cheese Fan in Colorado. He said, uh, Denver sees Chubb as a possible bust. What are your thoughts? That's a pretty interesting question. Chubb, really? They yeah. think he's a, a bust? Randy Chubb. I mean, he's injured a lot, I will yeah. say that. So I guess that would probably be the reason why he's a bust. But when he's on the field, he makes impact. He makes a lot of impact. He's a damn good pass so rusher. So, yeah, if they, if they want to, you know, cut ties with old, uh, old Chubby, let's all bring old Chubb this way because I'm all for it. But, no, I, I think realistically you're not going to see that happen. I don't think there's any way in hell that the Broncos would make an acquisition, a trade acquisition with, with, the, with the Chiefs. Still a young career. And I don't think there's any way in hell they would ever cut him because, again, when it comes to that premier position of pass rush, you don't just let guys like that go, even if they are injury prone yeah. he just he's too he's that position is too valuable because outside of uh the quarterback and protecting the quarterback edge rush is the most important position in all of football getting to the quarterback is the third most important position on football i don't i don't envision that anything like that would happen but denver has been a team that's made some pretty bad decisions over the last five six years so it may not shock me too much but i don't think there's any scenario he ends up <laughs> he ends up in kansas city by any means but yeah. uh eddie go ahead and continue with yours man all right, man. Uh, so, first question. Uh, UFC 271, Asanya versus Whitaker 2, and Derek Lewis versus Ty Tuivasa. Get your thoughts well, and reactions to those I, I did, I did, I did what you asked. I because I, I didn't watch the sh the fights live. I had some pre-arranged uh, uh, commitments that night, um, but I will say that I think you were right. I think that Adesanya didn't show me anything whatsoever that shows that he should have won the fight. I think that should have been a, 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 a either a draw or he should have lost. And I'm I'm the guy. I've told you guys this numerous times that when you're the champ and you go in the fight and you don't lose the fight like legitimately get knocked out or, pin or submitted, anything like that, that you should advance. But Anasanya didn't show me a damn thing. I think once he won the big fight and got his big prize, he's kind of just falling asleep on all of it. I think he's bored because there's nobody that can compare with him. There's nobody that, nobody right now at his weight classes within like the two weight classes he can fight in can fight him. He's just better than everybody. You saw what he did to Paul Acosta. 
Polo Costa was by far the most proven guy, the best fighter worthy. He broke him down. That wasn't even a fight at all. He beat the shit out of Costa. So that's the best they got. I feel like Adesanya is now moving into the Bone Jones category. He's just better than everybody else, and there's just nobody they can throw out there to give him a competitive fight. So I think he's bored. I'm not defending it because I don't like the, the lack of good quality fighting, but I think that's what we're experiencing with Israel Adesanya because he's been this great for about six years, and now UFC's gotten him, and he's had a, a handful of fights with the UFC. It's, they're going to really have to scrape the bottom of the barrel and see what they got out there, or he's going to have to move up a weight class or two because I just don't see anybody out there that's going to fight him. When it comes to the Derek Lewis and, I'm sorry, uh, the... Uh, uh, thank you, Tuivasa, who's... I fucking love this guy. I always miss his name. This Told dude... Derek, I, there was a couple... Second hey, round, I will say this. Derek Lewis had a couple opportunities to drop Tuivasa. He had a couple Tuivasa's throw in so there. Tuivasa, though, just has that granite chin, man. And he just outlasted Derek. That's all he had to do. Just get Derek Lewis winded and then pop him a few times. Yeah. And you just saw Derek Lewis just... And he, he looked like a building that had explosives in the middle that just kind of like slowly just break down. <laughs> That's what he looked like. Fuck, I can't do it. And just fell down. He was gone. Yeah. It was an awesome fight. It didn't last long. Like you said, it was only in the second round. But Tuivasa just took it to him. And I got so much respect for that dude. It's it, it's kind of funny watching how much his body moves around and jiggles and everything. Yeah. But the motherfucker is such a badass. Skill, he? Doesn't man. he drink out of the shoe, too? Isn't that, isn't that what he that's does? Thing, yeah. yeah, that's his thing. I love when he does that shit. I think overall, it was a great card. I hate that I missed it. But, I you know, there like I said, previous commitments. But that that was a great card. It just really sucks that Anasanya couldn't add to it. That's all I'll say yeah um i wish izzy was as good in the octagon right now as entertaining in the octagon as he is in the pressers yeah um it's really really frustrating because i love his personality i love him and i love what, what he's done to get here but now that he's here and he's arrived these fights are bullshit these are bullshit fights dude these are not he he's been he's, he's known for his style he's known for almost like his 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 lighter version of john jones the thing i love about john jones outside of a couple fights in his career he always brings it you know what I mean? John Jones was always entertaining. He'd always do some crazy shit. He'd start on his hands and knees. You know, he'd do some crazy back spinning elbows type shit and mix in fights and, and, you know, become a knockout artist, become a guy that wins in so many different ways, can beat you in every single way possible. Izzy is just literally just coasting through these fights, man. And it's, you can talk about his fans. Just talk about people that paid to go watch these fights. And these fights are getting more expensive and more expensive uh, the bigger the sport gets. That's dude. That I would want a refund from watching these fights. These last <laughs> right. few fights have been absolute trash, and I love Izzy. He's one of my favorite fighters ever. He's so good for the sport, as far as like I said, his pressers, his personality, what he brings, uh, 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 as far as entertainment value. But it stops once he gets into the octagon. He, and it's weird because he'll like talk trash during the fight, but it's like he's not doing anything. At least the Diaz brothers, when they talk shit in fights, they're, they're throwing hands, bro. Like they're doing, and they'll, they'll they wait to get cut, and they'll start fighting. Like that's when the fight starts. When the Nate, when the, the Diaz boys start bleeding, that's entertainment through and through with the pressure, and they follow through with the fight, whether they win or lose. Izzy, it's just like he's just going after not to lose, and I can't, I can't have that from a champ. You know what I mean? I need more from a champ. Um, so that's really all I got to say about that. I know he's the best in his weight class. And it's not even a question, but give us something, man. Go prove why you're the best. You know, I know you don't have much to prove anymore, but at least go out there and give us a show. Show why you're so great. Um, but yeah, as far as the uh, the Lewis and Tuivasa, I call it Tuivasa. I I, th I just think Tuivasa. I think at this point of Derek Lewis's career, I think he's kind of trending downward. It's kind of been that way for the last few fights, honestly. Oh, he's almost forty. He's a, yeah, he's a bar brawler type of fighter. You know, he's a haymaker kind of guy. When he's not hitting, when he's not landing those, and he's fighting, he's fighting someone far more skilled, has more in their tool belt. Um, 
I just think Tuivasa is the far more skilled and, and just the more polished fighter. Uh, I think that showed. Obviously, it was he beat his ass, um, and that that elbow he got him with, and all that. It was just the, that, yeah, the second round it was over, lights out, and I, yeah, I just that's kind of what I predicted. I didn't think that that fight would go the distance, um, and Tuivasa is just the far better fighter in my mind right now. So it went pretty much as I thought it would. Gotcha. All right, man. Next question: Why is America fascinated by like all star games? What, what what is all about this all star games in every sport in a professional sport and in America, including NASCAR, including soccer, uh, football, basketball, baseball. Like, the, what's the fascination? The simplest way I can put it, it's a showcase. Yeah. You have all the most powerful, best players, athletes in the world at their profession at one time on a court, a field, a track. It's it's just that simple. It's basically just a showcase. It's it's just to give people what they want, which is the stars. We're fascinated. We are, Us humans just love worshiping things and, and one of those things are star athletes we love to marvel and watch them do what they do at the, at the highest of levels that that's the only way i can really put it man i don't think there's really much else to say on at least on my end maybe trevor's got something else but that's the only way i can really put it well and it's it's very hollywood too because we the more and more as the time has, has gone and it's always been this way but the more time has gone on it's become more of a celebrity driven thing as well like the celebrity game NBA, especially in the nba uh even even like mlb uh all-star weekend and stuff the home run derby there's always like Movie stars, hip hop artists, musicians—all it's it's surrounded with a lot of celebrity too. Because not the average person can't just go to like a red carpet event or like the Oscars. Yeah. This is a, this is a chance for like a lot of people, um, like at normal average people, to go to an event that's not too expensive, but it is fairly pricey, but not too expensive to to attend to, and be around celebrities, be within the vicinity of you know maybe their favorite celebrity, maybe Drake's there, maybe this person's there, maybe Michael Jordan's there. Maybe they can possibly run into these people. So I think, I think that's kind of a dragnet too. Um, and also I think it's fun for like, you know, like me as a parent or um, it's similar to the NFL draft too. You know, it's a big event. You know, people are all dressed up in their fan attire. And it's just a fun thing for fans um, and not only fans of the sport, but people are like fans of uh, these celebrities that they know are going to be attending there. And like, you know, the social media age, you know, if you can get a picture with these celebrities, that's like a cool clout thing for you. Uh, but I, I said, me as like a father, you know, if one of my kids want to go uh, and they know Billy Eilish is going to be performing at one of these events or something at the at the event, that's also a dragnet too. That's why they've also had a lot of artists performing at a lot of these things or playing in the game. Um, you know, like the, the the softball tournament, like the big slick thing they do out here, stuff like that. That's when it's like celebrities that and in, in, infiltrated into the sports world. It's like a fun thing for people just to attend to, and I think that's a big part part of it. And I think it, like obviously people love their sports. People like to watch all the stars get together. Um, like I've always said, I think it's more for the players. This is like to build more of a camaraderie and relationship between the players. But I think fans also love seeing that too. So, all right, man. Uh, let's move into the NFL. I got three questions. One, two, three, four questions. Four questions. I can't even fucking count. All right. First one is uh, obviously I didn't get to talk about ask you guys this question last week, uh, but back to back MVPs for Aaron Rodgers. I want to get your thoughts and reactions to that. I don't want to be the guy that says that Aaron Rodgers doesn't deserve the MVP. I'm not going to be the guy that sit here and sits here and says says that uh, he wasn't extremely valuable this year. But I, I didn't I didn't have Aaron Rodgers as my MVP this year. I think there was a couple of guys that were more valuable than him. I will say though that this is furthering furthering the proof that this is now a quarterback award. And it, and honestly, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that. Because of the fact that we all know just from the from the basis of how the NFL is now and has been for the last 15, 20 years, the quarterback position is the most valuable position on the field. 
So unless you have a guy that has an historic season, like Adrian Peterson had 10 years ago, you're not going to win the MVP unless you're a quarterback. And I think Aaron Rodgers further proves that because I, I don't think he was the most valuable player this year. I, I, I don't. And so I, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not mad about it because the MVP isn't the end-all, be-all. Because as we all know that, you know, we, 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 we the, Aaron Rodgers has more MVPs than Patrick Mahomes. And I think we all agree that on an annual basis, Patrick Mahomes is a more valuable player. I think that we would all agree that guys that don't get MVP votes like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees are some of the most valuable players we've had over the last 10 to 20 years. I think we all would agree with that. And Drew Brees never won an MVP. Russell Wilson's probably never going to win an MVP. He's barely ever been an MVP candidate. And those guys are Hall of Fame quarterbacks and 10 to the 15 greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. So I don't think it's an end-all, be-all. I'm happy for Rodgers because I think it's it adds to his legacy as one of the greatest quarterbacks that have ever lived. But to me, what's more profound from him is how bad things have ended for him on an annual basis in the playoffs over the last three to four years. I mean, my God, after that Super Bowl win that seems like an eternity ago, him and the Packers have been awful in the playoffs. They're 7-9. and nine. And a lot of those games have been at home. It's a regular season award, though. Exactly. I don't know. What I'm saying is it's more profound to his legacy of what's happening in the playoffs than him getting another MVP. Mm-hmm. Because I think what he's going to be remembered more for isn't his MVPs. He's going to be remembered more for what took place in the playoffs. A lot like Peyton Manning, who I love dearly as well. People don't... A lot of folks don't know that Peyton Manning has the most MVPs all time. Yeah. What they do know, though, is that Peyton Manning fell short a lot of times in the playoffs and didn't have his best games, got obliterated in the, in the Super Bowl on a, on a number of occasions. Those are things that they'll remember him for more. Do I hold that against them? No. But I just think that this is something that has now become a quarterback-driven award, and I think that Aaron Rodgers, because of how successful the team was this year and how his interception numbers, I don't know how he does it, but they stay so damn low and he continues to throw touchdowns at such a high rate He's going to keep winning MVP awards like that if he continues to play like that. Yeah, I think he 100% deserves it. I think he's a top two, top three candidate. I mean, there, you can you can talk about guys that deserve it as well. It, one person in the end gets it. You know, it's not always easy to pick that one person. But, I mean, he led his team to 13 wins. You know, it was the top of the NFC uh, from the majority of the year. Um, that you know, and that's you know that and that Packers defense was with and without pieces throughout the year, and he he you know he doesn't have that much talent on offense. You know, he, he has a couple of good running backs there, and he's got one in, in incredibly elite receiver. But a lot of other guys are just kind of you know they brought Matt Randall Cobb to have a, a role there. You know, a lot of these guys are just kind of like if they're on other teams, they probably wouldn't even be much known. Um, you know, St. Brown and uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. A lot of these guys would be. No name guys, honestly, if they're not playing with Aaron Rodgers, if we're all being honest right now. He makes a lot of the guys around him, he elevates a lot of the players around him, which is is an extremely valuable thing, if not the most valuable thing for a quarterback to do. Um and his 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 ability to consistently lead teams to wins, uh find ways to win and be clutch and yeah, I mean trust me, I denounced my my goatism for Aaron Rodgers a few weeks ago. Uh after that blunder against the Niners. It was absolutely unacceptable and his 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 playoff woes are not to be ignored, um, especially by me, who tends to be a homer for him and to fully uh, support him in most things. But I still think he's one of the greatest talents to ever uh, grace the gridiron. Maybe the, I still think arguably, you know, one of the, if not outside of Patrick Mahomes, I think the best thrower of the football, um, ability to throw from all platforms and such. Um, either way, I am not. I am 100% in support of him getting this, another, this MVP. I think he deserves it. Um, even though he completely fell flat in the playoffs again, and that's really frustrating. But it's a, it's a regular season uh, award. 
And he was arguably the best quarterback in the year this year. Led his team to, like I said, top of the division. Carried them to, across the top of the division most of the year. They were atop the NFC. So they never, they never really stumbled and fell and fell anywhere. At one point, he never he's, his his touchdown. You said his touchdown to interception ratio is going to be the greatest of all time. It's yep. not going to be matched. It's un, almost unrealistic. It doesn't seem like a real stat, but it's real. Um, so his efficiency alone is MVP, MVP worthy. His ability to um, uh, raise the level and raise the confidence and elevate players around him is one of the greatest we've ever seen at doing it. Um, it's just his ability to win in the playoffs is, is frustrating as hell. Um, or yeah. So I 100% think he deserves it. You know, we can talk about other guys. Patrick Mahomes definitely uh, second half of the season definitely was deserving of it as well. In my mind, especially coming from the struggle uh, uh, the early parts of the year, but there's other guys out there, you know, um, that, that were probably deserving it as well. But like I said, one person gets it. Aaron Rodgers got it. I'm not mad about that at all, man. All right. Well, now that we know that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty much out of the uh, 49ers, mm. uh, as to what we Trey Lance hearing. time. Yep. So my question is, is Trey Lance ready to take over for the 49ers? I, I'm not going to be the guy that shies away from my stance on Trey Lance or any other player unless I've been proven wrong, and I'll admit when I'm wrong. Yeah. Guys, I, I'm very big on him, and I've been on, I've been big on him since his days when he was coming out of college. He was one of the few quarterbacks – well, he was the only quarterback in his draft class – that could actually read defenses and audible out of place. Not Trevor Lawrence, not guys like that. He was already doing pre-reads on defenses. I don't care if he went to mid-major school. This kid is insanely talented. I think, honestly, and I, I told you guys why I picked the Niners to go to the Super Bowl this year is because I believe that Trey Lance was going to take over. I don't think if, if he wouldn't got Jimmy hurt, G took over instead. <laughs> when, if, if Trey Lance did get hurt, he, I think he had that broken finger, if I'm not mistaken. He couldn't yeah. throw the football for a while. But when he showed you, he, he was extremely raw. But he was opening up things in this offense Jimmy G could never have dreamt of. For sure. And I think that you saw that if had he taken over, let's say he was in the NFC Championship, I think they win that game. Because that game was close throughout. The, the Niners His had a legs lead. Alone. Yeah, they, I think he would have opened up things. They were on a close game in that one because it was a 20-17, to 17, I think, was the final score. Yeah. And Jimmy Garoppolo was terrible in that game. He was terrible in the playoffs. Yeah. They didn't score an offensive touchdown on one in Green Bay. Like, that's how great that 49ers team is. They were a quarterback away. I think if they would have had Trey Lance playing, they are in the Super Bowl. Would they have won it? Who knows? All I'm saying is Trey Lance is going to open up that offense. I know there's all this speculation of what's going down this offseason. I'm telling you right now, in that Shanahan offense, you will see Trey Lance absolutely pop and become one of the better quarterbacks in football over the next three to five years. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. The receipts are out there. I'm not budging. This guy is so extremely talented. He is the quarterback that got in the best position because, as we know, it's not about when you go. It's where you go. And he landed the best spot of all these young quarterbacks, including Mac Jones in New England. I think he's going to win and win a lot in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they traded up to get him. I think if Shanahan believes in a guy, I kind of have to as well because I, I trust Shanahan and his, his ability to uh, – you know, uh, identify talent. He's always had talented rosters. Wherever he's gone, he's found ways to you know be creative and win with guys that are talented and find talent player talented players. Um, I'm not sold on Trey Lance yet. I mean, I, I have to see it first. You know, when his his spot starts and his uh, uh, his moments when they've had him, he's got all the athletic gifts. That's not even a question. Um, I, I only thing I question is his accuracy. Um, some of his decision making, I think he could become a turnover prone guy. I'm not saying he is. I think that's definitely a possibility. But his his arm strength is incredible. The guy throw it looks like Brett Farballs out there. He's just he's almost throwing it too hard. 
right? So he, he's, I just think he's got some accuracy issues. He's got to tighten up a little bit. But he's young, man. And I think Shanahan's going to put him in the best position to be successful. And I do agree with you. I think his intangibles would have helped them uh, uh, in the playoffs. And I do, I do think they probably would have beaten the Rams um, if they had his ability to escape, uh, his escape ability and escaping the pocket. And he, as fast as he is, as long as strides as he got, he could have ate up so many yards and extended plays and made it much more of a deadly threat against the Rams because that was a close game. Yeah. Um, and especially with Shanahan's ability to just have their number uh, and find ways to beat the Rams consistently and, Sh- and Sean McVay consistently. Um, so I do think he is the future of 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 the Niners. Um, I just I just don't I'm not a believer in Trey Lance yet. I just kind of have to see it. I do believe he has it. I do believe he has it, but it, it's gonna it's got to be on display for me first. Um, and some of the times, and like I said, the spot starts in the in the plays that they put him in. Um, his mobility is there, obviously, but I just got to see him being a better thrower of the football. He's got the strength. I just want to see a little more accuracy and decision making. And then after that, I think I'll be sold on him. So he's in a great spot, though. Maybe the best spot of all these younger quarterbacks. Oh, man. All right. Um, let's go with yeah, – I'll throw this one before the other one. This has been a big topic, obviously, since right before the Super Bowl. Uh, talking, we're, we're talking maybe a day before the Super Bowl. Will Sean McVay retire and will Aaron, Don, Aaron Donald follow? Look, Sean McVay, look, I I love the entertainment factor of what was announced before the Super Bowl because it did get my eyebrows lifted. I was like, oh, fuck, is he really going to do it? The more and more I thought about it, and it it was pretty obvious, especially the way he talked after the Super Bowl victory, he was leveraging for a massive raise. And I think that with with Kroenke being his owner and as cheap as he has been, I think that you're going to see this now – substantially pay a, a substantial pay increase is coming Sean McVay's way because I think he's showing Cronky in the Rams look I'm 36 years old and I could walk away at any given time take five to ten years off if I wanted to and then come back and coach for another 20 years time is on his side and the fact that he's one of the three best coaches in football gives him a lot of leverage as well so if the Rams aren't willing to pay him what he wants he's gonna walk away and go join some TV crew and make eight to ten million a year that's what he's going to go do. So he, uh, this is all for McVay. And, and Aaron Donald, there's a much better chance in my eyes that Aaron Donald walks away than McVay. Because Aaron Donald will be 31 this year and has done everything he set out to do. He's already a Hall of Fame player. He made seven All-Pros in eight seasons in football. Yeah. And got himself a Super Bowl championship. And so if Aaron Donald walks away, it's justified. He, he goes out on top. He's already got himself a Hall of Fame career. McVay, he's got forever to go. He can yeah. keep coaching, become the all-time winnings leader, win himself several more Super Bowls. Like, there's so much more he could do. I don't think either one retires, though, just to answer your question as briefly as I can. I don't think either one. I think they both will be back because if you look at the NFC structure as currently constructed, the, the Rams could go right back into the Super Bowl next season. If they retain these guys, Matt Stafford's not going anywhere. Cooper Cup's not going anywhere. They add a couple little pieces here and there in free agency, and then they, they have eight draft picks. I know they don't have a first-rounder, but they have eight draft picks they can utilize in trades or just draft guys. They land a couple of those picks, so they land a couple in free agency or in trades. They're right back there because outside of Green Bay, that keeps if they keep Aaron Rodgers and in San Francisco – there's nobody out there that's going to come close to them. Yeah, and what was the biggest uh, reason they're saying that he was possibly retired? Because he's getting married, right? His, you know, the fiance, him wanting to possibly focus on family. I, I believe that we just recently she came out on social media and was saying saying that he's not going to retire. You know, if she's saying that, if he's backed yeah, by she her. Knows. He's a football guy. I don't think he wants to retire, especially after winning a championship, knowing that he could possibly go right back and have another chance at the dance. 
why would he retire right, right now? It doesn't make any sense for him to retire right now. Granted, I would fully support it because he can come back in 10 years and still coach for another 25. You know, that's still very much of a possibility. Um, so I think he's got, he's just, he, he is a football guy through and through. He's going to be successful, whatever he does, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's, you know, whatever. Um, he's an extremely highly intellectual guy. His memory is insane. I don't know if you guys have watched some of those clips of his memory and like games like from years ago. Yeah. And they'll give him a scenario and he'll name it. He's just, he's kind of a beautiful mind, right? And he's kind of like a young, aspiring and next Andy Reid kind of guy. He's very offensive driven, a mastermind. That's what, you know, remember when he first burst onto the scene, everyone was calling him like the next Andy Reid because of his ability to create his own concepts and things like that. Um, so I think he's got a super bright future in, the, in this in this league, and I don't think he retires. I really don't. All right, last question. Obviously, Blanche brought this up on the Spoken. Uh, is Justin Herbert an elite quarterback? Look, I said this, and I'll, I'll say it verbatim, so that way everybody understands where I'm coming from. Justin Herbert is an elite talent, but he isn't an elite quarterback yet. Herbert and the Chargers versus playoff teams, not including the Week 17 of the 2021 season because the Chiefs rested their starters. They're 5-8 and eight versus playoff teams, okay? Mm-hmm. That's not all on Justin Herbert, but here's what I'm saying. They've also lost to six teams with below 500 records, and they have yet to make the playoffs. In fact, Justin Herbert just had a golden opportunity to uh, in a win-in-and-you're-in Week 18 game at the Raiders, and Herbert completed 53% of his passes, and the Chargers lost. The Chargers missed the playoffs. Herbert has yet to lead the Chargers to a win, let alone the playoffs, and we can't pretend as if they're not one of the more talented rosters in the NFL and weren't picked by many to make the playoffs, win the AFC West, and even make the Super Bowl. I like Herbert a lot. You guys know this. And I believe he's got a potential Hall of Fame career ahead of him. But he is an elite talent, not an elite quarterback right now. Things can change quickly as soon as this season. He can go in there, have an MVP caliber season. The Chargers are in the playoffs. Because I'm not a team I'm not a team wins guy that bases quarterback greatness off team accolades. You guys know this. Yeah. But eventually, if you're as great as Patrick Mahomes or any of these other great top-tier quarterbacks, it has there has to be some result. Imagine me sitting here saying Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league and the Chiefs haven't gotten to the playoffs at all. And haven't won anything in the playoffs, and Patrick Mahomes didn't have these big legacy building moments in the playoffs. I couldn't say that with any conviction because eventually those things have to come to fruition, especially when you have a great roster. And we can't sit here and pretend like the Chargers haven't had a great roster around Justin Herbert. Yeah. He has a plethora of weapons on all facilities: tight ends, off quarterback or tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, offensive line. They've had a good offensive line. Their defense was horrible this season, yeah. but last season their defense wasn't horrible. Their defense was actually really good, and they still had a losing record last. Last year, yeah. I know it was Justin Herbert's rookie year. My point, though, is if he's on the same echelon as Patrick Mahomes, which is an elite quarterback, or Aaron Rodgers, which is an elite quarterback, can you at least have a winning record as a team? Can you at least show me that in big games you can perform at the highest level? Because he hasn't shown me that yet. Yeah. So he's an elite talent, and more than likely, more than likely, will be an elite quarterback at some point in his career. I'm not dismissing that, but as it currently stands, I have not seen an elite quarterback. Because to me, there are only three elite quarterbacks in the league right now: is Patrick Mahomes. It is Aaron Rodgers and whoever else comes out about next year. Because right now, I think there's only two. I think there's always going to be three. But I don't know who that guy is right now. But I don't think it's Justin Herbert. Trevor? Yeah, he's definitely the best quarterback, 100% best quarterback on the Chargers. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I, he's not a, He's not elite in my book, that's for sure, yet. Uh, he does have the capabilities, though, and the eye test shows, man. You got you watch this guy play football. He's got the size. He's got the hand size. He's got, you know, he's, he's more mobile than people give him credit for. Um, and, and he's got incredible arm talent, uh, being able not only accuracy, but his strength, his deep ball is incredible. And the kid's young, man. He's having one of the greatest starts to a young quarterback career ever, numbers-wise. 
right? He burst on the scene his first game getting thrown out there and he almost beat us. You know what I mean? So the kid is, and granted, coming from <clears throat> Baylor, right? It's where he came from. Didn't he come from Baylor? Is that where he came from? No, no, uh, Oregon. Oregon, I'm sorry. I always get those two. Yeah, yeah. those two schools mixed up, the green colors. Uh, Oregon, yeah, yeah. So Oregon products don't tend to work out in the NFL, right? So him coming from that school being, you know, kind of downplayed on what he did in college with that system, he's shown that he is ready for the NFL. He's shown that he's a true quarterback in this. And he definitely has, like you said, elite skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is lined up for him to have success in this league. And it, uh, I, I, I'm there with you. I think he's on the path to becoming an elite player in this league. And there's so many young uh, elite possible talents in this league, you know, with the Joe Burrows and Deshaun Watson, whenever, wherever he lands, whatever he ends up doing with the rest, the rest of his career and so on. Um, other guys, obviously Josh Allen is definitely putting himself into that, that tier of being possibly elite as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with calling him an elite talent. Um, but is he elite in this league yet? Is he an elite quarterback in this league yet? No. All right. Well, we are very privileged and honored to be joined by my guy, a dear friend, a brother of mine, a guy that I respect vehemently and has been on this show several times. A guy that gives me hope, helps me see things from a different vision, a different viewpoint, mostly because he's about a foot and a half taller than me. But nevertheless, from the host of the Shaggy Shane Show on YouTube, and you guys know him, you guys love him, and if you don't, you guys need to get some help because he mo- he's the most lovable human being I know. Let's give it up for our guy Shaggy Shane Williams. How we doing, Shaggy? I'm doing phenomenal. How are you doing, Brother Lance? Better now. Better now that I get to talk to you. It's been a rough couple of weeks. I know that you know exactly what I mean when I say that. There's been a lot of heartbreak, hardship uh, that has happened over the last couple of weeks, and we've had a lot of drama over the last few days. But nevertheless, we are here to dissect everything, fight through everything, see the forest through the trees, and hope for the best moving forward. Shaggy, I want to start with you on this because... I don't want to revisit the AFC Championship because I know you've you've said your piece, but I, I want to get your viewpoint and your your optics on what do you think as a whole this season took place that went so wrong for the Chiefs because they prevailed. They had arguably the greatest football game ever leading into the AFC Championship against the Bills when they beat them in overtime, but there was this there was this inconsistency with this team. There was some pushing back and forth. You didn't really know what you were going to get from a week-in and week-out basis, and that's something very uncharacteristic in the Mahomes era from the Chiefs. Just looking at this entire 2021-2022 season, give me your overall viewpoint and your overall take as to what went wrong, what went right, and how they can avoid the wrongs that went wrong this season moving forward. That's a loaded question, Lance, and I'm glad you asked me that. I will address all that tomorrow on the Shaggy Shane Show. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, honestly, people are going to be sick of us. Our, our, we're doing a podcast with Fat Mahomes. It's going to be uploaded and edited and put out here in a couple hours. So people are going to be like, "Man, I'm sick and tired of hearing Shaggy Shane. I just heard Shaggy Shane with Lance. Now I just heard him with Shaggy Shane with Pat Mahomes. Now he's going to do a season finale show tomorrow. I've had my fill of the Shaggy Shane." <laughs> No, seriously, buddy, to answer your question in totality, and I appreciate you giving me your uh, format, your stage, your uh, platform to say what I got to say. The entire season of the 2021 uh, Kansas City Chiefs season needs to be looked at as incomplete. And here, here's, here's what I want to say. You know, the Chiefs stood three and four rock bottom on Halloween 
I was on your show October 30th when the Chiefs stood three and four. Can you hear me, Lance? Loud and clear, baby. Loud and okay. clear. Okay. The Chiefs came. The Chiefs were three and four. They were rock bottom. I was on your show. And what we talked about at that time was Tyron Matthew, who had just 24 hours previous, was uh, looking, not looking for people that tweeted at him. He was searching on Instagram and Twitter on his name. He was calling out Chiefs fans for being toxic. It was sad. It was hurtful. And quite honestly, it was embarrassing. So we did a show, you know, we did a show. I mean, your viewers, my viewers, the world can look back and see where the Chiefs stood on three and four. And it was sad. It was dark. It was the darkest we've seen it under Patrick Mahomes because the defense was 31st or 32nd. Uh, Patrick Mahomes wasn't playing at a consistent level. And lo and behold, the Chiefs were able to eke out a win on Monday Night Football against a bad New York Giants team on November 1st. Then the next day, the Chiefs' Brett Beach made a trade for Melvin Ingram, who, in my opinion, Melvin Ingram alone changed the landscape for the defense until the season ended. Patrick Mahomes was able to find himself that we were familiar with in his first three years, the first four years as a starter. And the Chiefs became who they were from November 2nd until the last game ended January 30th. Um, Melvin Ingram saved the last game of the season at Denver, which saved the uh, number two seed, which the Chiefs used to their uh, benefit uh, because they, they played three home games against the Steelers, the Buffalo Bills, and the, um, the Cincinnati Bengals to their benefit, all because of Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram was the piece all the way from November 2nd to January 30th. Now, we saw Patrick Mahomes' greatness. Damn it, Lance. We saw Patrick Mahomes' greatness. Everything that we've claimed since you and I came over and talked about it, on, since you were a guest on my show on the mock draft, when you were happy to get anybody, Deshaun Watch and Trubisky, and you were also high on Mahomes. And I said, we need to be Mahomes. Mahomes came here, and he's been everything that we preached about before he was drafted. I mean, I got this number one Mahomey Cup made for me as a gift for my daughters before Patrick Mahomes even started an NFL game. I bought my Patrick Mahomes jersey before he even started an NFL game. So he was doing everything that we wanted to do for four seasons all the way up until halftime. And something happened at halftime that we have now sources coming out of the woodworks tell other people i am not a source i have never been a source but we hear people that say that they have had sources you know in 2009 when holly star left Warpaint tv to go work for 38th spot chiefs insider nick athen asked me to be the Warpaint tv guy to fill to take over for holly star and i did interviews with Dwayne Bowe, Dustin Colquitt, and Kendall Gammon. And I was around Nick Athen, who claimed to be the source guy. I saw a lot of heat that he got for what he claimed to be sources. So I myself wanted to stay clear of that. I am still clear of that. I am not a source guy. You are not a source guy. But we still hear people that still here get their sources. And not to derail off your question that you asked about this season, Lance, because I'm sure we're going to cover it on this show and as well as uh, my show tomorrow. Um, this season, Patrick Mahomes came out 
the second half and he was a shell of himself. And we had to be brutally honest, examining what happened to him the second half of the AFC Championship game because he did not look the same. He looked like he'd mentally checked out. And that, that's hard for me to say, being the dire Patrick Mahomes fan that I am and millions of Patrick Mahomes fans worldwide. Something happened to him at halftime that is, it has conspiracy theorists say and Roger Goodell called him or the Vegas mob called him or he was supposed to shape points to where it's had NFL awards comedians call out Tra- Travis Kelsey on the Thursday before the Super Bowl saying Patrick Mahomes and now to play football to where we're having these in incredible stories of Eric Bieniemy did this, 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 and this to break Patrick Mahomes' will. It is incomplete. The entire 2021 season is incomplete just because of the fact that it ended so abruptly and so ugly and so um, sad. And um, I hope that answered your question. Well, you you did mention it. You, you brought up the fact that there's been news uh, brought out an article was released and I don't want to put you on that spot because like you said you're not a source guy but from your viewpoint how much validity do you believe there is about the accusations that there was a legitimate rift between Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes and do you think because of the fact that these last two off seasons this off season included with how quiet it's been and I know you've mentioned it to me in the past about man it's been really quiet about Eric Bieniemy's future in Kansas City and then it just quietly goes in and he's just still the offensive coordinator on a one year deal and he's not getting head coaching jobs and you and I and all of us on our platform have been suggesting that it's a lot of racial issues within the league Brian Flores mentioning him in his lawsuit and how he can't get a head coaching job and then we hear this news drop we don't know exactly how much of it is true. We do trust some of these people that are reporting these things. But I want to know from your you, your viewpoint, somebody that pays so close attention, close attention to these things, how much validity do you believe there is between Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bini having a legitimate problem? And do you think it's going to cause a problem for Eric Bini and me to have not only a job moving forward as a head coach, but maybe even the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs moving forward? Well, let me address that article specifically, and then I'll tell you uh, what uh, I think. I think that article was was it was too much. It was too much. Even if you had, even if you knew certain things, if you knew, if somebody who who knew this was the actual story, it was too much to digest. It was too much to grasp. It was. It needed to be talked about. If you, if somebody legitimately, in my opinion, had this information and somebody told them all this information, it needed to be, it needed to be uh, dropped with, um, smaller. And as Herm Edwards always said, if you got a story, put your name on it, put a name on it. Herm Edwards said that. And, and, and that's true. You know, and it's true with, when I was with Warpaint Illustrated, Nick Athen, if he had a story, love him, hate him call him what you want he put his name on it kansas city star does these tweets and they say the kansas city star editorial board we look at that and cringe because it's the kansas city star editorial board man you can't be the chief's kingdom editorial board because who's going to say somebody's going to come out and say they're the shaggy shane editorial board if they're not shaggy shane you know and i'm not questioning what the information this guy got i'm just saying if you're going to put something out so hot that you're afraid to put your name on it, 
then put uh, you you can put it out just a little bit and put your name on what you know. I understand why the gentleman did not put his name on it, but I also think it's so massive that you do got to put your name on it. But I also know for a fact that this gentleman who put out the Tyree Kill information, it changed the tide on all everything Tyree Kill. He put it out in pieces in the summer of 2019 when Brooke Pryor, the Kansas City Star, and KCTV 5 News was trying to bury Tyree Kill. You know it. I know it. The world knows KCTV 5 and the Kansas City Star were trying hard to bury uh, Tyree Kill. This gentleman who went by the Chiefs Kingdom editorial board had sources that defended Tyree Kill and changed the tide in his favor. And we saw how that all turned out. But in my opinion, for Eric Bieniemy, I think he could still be the offensive coordinator. It's not my decision to make a decision on whether he is or not. I will say, and you know that I I talked with you as well as Clay Windler um, as soon, as soon as the Super Bowl ended. There was the story about Andy Reid and his son. Andy Reid did one press conference the day after the Super Bowl, and he was asked, "What about Eric Bieniemy?" He said, "Oh well." I expect Eric Bannemey to have his contract signed by the end of the week to stay if he doesn't get a head coaching position. Well, guess what? There was no announcement. Andy Reid and Eric Bannemey, there was they didn't do any press conferences from February, March until late April. And then it was found out in late April that Eric Bannemey was going to be back. Adam Schefter last week, you know and I know and the world knows, says that Andy Reid's going to have a set sit-down uh last week and decide Eric Bieniemy's fate. Well, if we're going to go by how Andy Reid didn't put anything out last year about Eric Bieniemy until we found out in late April, unless we hear something today, tomorrow, next week, that the Chiefs do have a new offensive coordinator or another team has taken Eric Bieniemy on as to be their offensive coordinator or running backs coach or offensive assistant, we're just going to have to wait it out. Would I be surprised if Eric Bieniemy left? No. Would I be surprised if Eric Bieniemy stayed? No. Just because that's how Andy Reid and the Chiefs uh, carry themselves with uh, how they deal with the media and honestly how they deal with the offseason. Looking at this offseason, by the way, I'm uh, actually very excited about this. I've been breaking it down uh, throughout the duration of the show so far. The show so far. In regards to what Brett Veach can do and how I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt as well because of what he did in the last two drafts, specifically in this last draft, and how aggressive he is in free agency and in trades. Now, I want to break this down in small segments here, and, and Shane, I want you to answer these as, as, as much as, or in detail as you want because I know you have your offseason opinions and what you'd like to see the Chiefs do. But one thing I do love about what Brett Veach does is that he will overcorrect, and I know some people don't like that, but I would rather have a GM that overcorrects than undercorrects. He takes things very seriously, and he makes sure... He makes sure that he takes care of things immediately. And you saw that last offseason with the offensive line and making sure that Patrick Holmes would never be going without at, at, in his protection. And I don't feel like we went a single game this year, although they had their offensive problems. I don't think we ever looked back and said, man, if only Patrick had more protection because they made sure that he had plenty. On the defensive side of things, I think Brett Veach is going to answer and overcorrect the same exact way. And the, Chief have, the Chiefs not only have the draft assets, but with the current cap structure in place, the Chiefs are looking at about 50 to $90 million to be able to spend this offseason. Now, 
There are free agent guys that the Chiefs have currently, like Orlando Brown Jr., that I fully expect is going to be back next season, whether it's just on the franchise tag or a franchise tag and a long-term deal. I do expect the Chiefs to give an offer to Tyron Matthew, and if it's competitive, I do expect him to be back as well. But there are guys out there that I think the Chiefs can go and sign, like a Vaughn Miller, bring back Melvin Ingram. But I have I have positioned that the Chiefs should go out there and make a big splash like Fowler and, and Ian Rappaport have been saying as well, that they're going to go out there and make a big splash. And I think a big splash is going and trading for a guy out of Jacksonville like Josh Allen, 24-year-old pass rusher that's going to be expensive when you sign him. But the Chiefs have the trade assets like the 30th overall pick and multiple third and second round picks they can utilize and give to the Jaguars to a former Offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach of the Jaguars, and Doug Peterson. The Chiefs also brought the defensive lineman coach from, from Jacksonville named Colin. I think that there's a lot there that the Chiefs can make happen. Will it happen? We'll see. But I just want to get your thoughts on these ideas in the offseason, what you expect Brett Veach to do, and how you want to see it go. I'll tell you what, Lance. Um, I'm glad you asked me that question because um, it's a good point. Because you are hard on Frank Clark. And this smells like a Frank Clark trade. Frank Clark got us the Super Bowl. He was great in the playoffs. But I follow you on Twitter. You know, I'm not on Twitter much, but I take heed to what you have to tweet. And you blasted Frank Clark. You know why? Because you felt he didn't live up to his contract. But he got us the Super Bowl. My only fear is if we make this deal and if he doesn't live up to Josh, if we make it that exact same trade for Josh Allen and he doesn't live up to his deal, if you're going to put him on blast on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this real quick, real quick, yes. Shane. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because that's actually a part of my take with Josh Allen and why I want him to actually be in Kansas City because of the Frank Clark situation. Because the Chiefs were willing to give up so much to get Frank. Frank did help. But see, the difference between Frank Clark and Josh Allen and, and their previous regimes moving to the Chiefs is that Frank Clark was a beneficiary of being on an elite defense all those years in Seattle, whereas Josh Allen, who's put up better numbers and has started more games and has more experience, put up better numbers and performed at a higher level and a much worse defense. So I believe that Josh Allen has a higher upside than what Frank Clark was. I was willing to give Frank Clark the opportunity to flourish in this defense, but with all the injury concerns and with his stomach issues and the lack of one in these offseason off-field problems with multiple gun charges. I was just sick of the whole Frank Clark situation. And that's why I put him on blast because I didn't think the effort was there. I didn't think the production was there. And with all the off-field stuff, he didn't match the criteria to justify such a massive, lucrative deal that the Chiefs were giving and the draft picks in, in conclusion. I would rather give that to Josh Allen and give him an opportunity to prove his worth because I think he has a higher ceiling than Frank Clark ever did. Go ahead, Eddie. So we got a little bit of breaking news. Uh, Steelers have named Brian Flores as their senior defensive assistant, linebackers coach. That's great news. That is absolutely great news. I'm happy to see Brian Flores get a job in the in the NFL, even though he went out there and put his neck on the line and was willing to sacrifice his career. I'm, I'm, we're going to expand on that in just a second. Shane, if you have any thoughts on that as well, go ahead. I think it's a good move. I, I was he, he he said what he had to say. He felt that the, where the NFL was doing wrong with not only the Miami Dolphins, I'm thrilled that Mike Tomlin gave him a chance uh, to uh, come back and be an assistant because there was a fear of him being blackballed. So, yes, yes. I'm happy. He deserves to be a coach. He's a great defensive coach. He did a lot with Miami. He also obviously dealt with a lot of BS. So, I'm thrilled that uh, Flores has got the job. What do you think, Trevor? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I couldn't be more happy for him. I think Tomlin made the right move, and I think he's he succeeds everywhere he goes, and he, I think he's got the respect amongst players. That's the most important thing. 
you know, so, and I think he's a successful coach. He knows defenses. He uh, obviously over-succeeded in Miami, and that was uh, what got him out of there, unfortunately. So I think landing with Tomlin and the, and the Steelers, a great historical franchise, I think is one of the best positions for him to be in right now to kind of maybe give him another chance down the road. But it's better than being blackballed, like you said. So just to go back to the Josh, Josh Allen, Chiefs trading for him, seeing what they can do in free agency, Tyron Matthew, Orlando Brown Jr., I'd love to hear your takeaways on what you want to see Brett Veach do this offseason. All right, if we're going to say Josh Allen, we automatically got to say Josh Allen, the defensive end. We can't say just Josh Allen because the people are just now joining the show. What? You want the Chiefs to trade for Josh Allen? We got Patrick Mahomes. Why do we need Josh Allen? What's he going to back up? Is he going to be a running back because he likes to run the football? So anybody just now joining us, Lance is talking about Josh Allen, the defensive end for Jacksonville. Yes, there's two of them. It's all hypothetics. Uh, is What I want to ask you, Lance, before we expand on Josh Allen, the defensive end or outside linebacker, is there rumors about him being traded or is this your idea? No, see, this is the thing. This the only reason why it piqued my interest was the fact that Josh Allen has a fifth-year option coming up very soon. This is his fourth season. I expect the Jaguars to pick up that fifth-year option, but I have a hard time believing that Josh Allen is going to re-sign with the Jaguars. So if I'm a team like the Jaguars that knows that they have so much to to build on and they have to get better and better progressively with a new head coach uh, regime coming in, I feel like this is the perfect time for them going to go and get more picks for a guy like Josh. He can go and play with a contender, go get himself a $16 million a year type of contract from a team like the Chiefs, where they get those picks back and build a team for Doug Peterson. Because I know Doug Peterson took that job knowing he's going to have autonomy and control. I think that that's a perfect situation for all three parties involved. That's the only reason I brought it up. Have I heard anything or seen anything that the, the Chiefs and the, the Jaguars are talking? No. But we know each and every offseason – one of these trades comes out of nowhere. We had no idea that it was going to happen. We heard nothing, and it takes place. Just like with the Chiefs getting Orlando Brown Jr. last year. None of us saw that coming. None of us expected it. We wanted it, but none of us. Maybe Eddie predicted it. I know our guy Darren Smith predicted it as well. Brad Simcox, Brett, the Brit Chief. But it was a, a speculative. It was something that we were hoping for. And then the next thing we know, in the middle of the day, Chiefs got Orlando Brown Jr. in a, in a, in a trade with the Ravens of all teams. I'm, that's what I'm expecting to see in my scenario, my fantasy at this point, but that's all it really is. That fantasy could become a reality, Lance, because Brett Beach does it. He did it, what, two days before the draft in 2019 with Frank Clark? Brett Beach, one day before the draft, one day before the draft, has a press conference with the entire media, and then an hour later it's announced that the Chiefs have traded for Orlando Brown. I guess if we can make this speculation grow like we did when we made the trade for Frank Clark and we did uh, last year make the trade for Orlando Brown, it's all possible. You know, but talking about Orlando Brown, I think he should be tagged. I think Tyreek Hill should get his monster contract. He will be 28 years old in 12 days. So I think Tyreek Hill deserves his money. But there's also that talk, and I'm not for it, and I wasn't for it on Halloween. Everybody said, well, Shag, you're the one. You're the one that said that we got to trade Tyreek Hill, and uh, you're the one that said, you know, my point is, my point was on October 30th. Just like my point is today on February 19th, Brett Veach has to think about what he wants to do with Tyreek Hill because he has to give Tyreek Hill the money he deserves. Tyreek Hill deserves to get paid now. Tyreek Hill deserves to be the number one option or the number one man to get a fat stack of cash this offseason. Should it be from the Chiefs? Yes. But 
if there's another team that just you got to look at what Brett Veach is saying you got, or thinking. You got to look at what other teams could be offering Tyreek Hill. If another team wants to overpay and give the Chiefs two number one draft picks and a second round draft pick for Tyreek Hill, you have to at least sleep on it. You got to think, okay, I got to rebuild my defense completely because Frank Clark's going to be gone. Uh, the defensive end we got from Seattle, I forget his name escapes me. He's gone. Jaron uh, Reed. Jaron Reed's gone. So there's a lot of things the Chiefs got to think about what they want to do defensively. So they have to at least think about, okay, how many draft picks could I get for Tyreek Hill? I'm not going to trade him, but let me just think about it. I'm not saying trade him. I'm just saying you got to at least think about how many draft picks. Could I get two number one draft picks from Philadelphia? a second-round draft pick that would give me five draft picks in the first 64. Do I want to do it? Nah, I'm going to give Tyreek Hill his money. Because we have to think about what the Chiefs are going to do uh, this offseason. Because what Brett Beach has done, you alluded it to Lance, as soon as the Chiefs' season ends with a loss, what do the Chiefs do under Patrick Mahomes? The Chiefs. Bob Sutton was the reason why the Chiefs lost. He was fired, okay? They knew that was the problem. Last year when they lost to the in the Super Bowl to at Tampa Bay and Raymond James Stadium, we knew the offensive line was the problem. Brett Feach addressed it. Now we're dealing with, okay, uh, Patrick Mahomes and obviously had an issue with uh, he wasn't himself in the second half of that game. Uh, what was the problem? You know, we had Kelsey open. He also had Byron Pringle open. We're all sitting here saying, well, should we get Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Williams, this guy, you know, other wide receivers that are going to be free agents. You know, Patrick Mahomes throws that touchdown pass to Byron Pringle when he's taking it before he took an 18-yard sack and fumbled, and the Chiefs go on to go to the Super Bowl. They'd be like, man, Byron Pringle was open in the front of the end zone. Patrick Mahomes saw him, pulled the trigger. How about that Byron Pringle? He's always clutch. He's always making touchdown catches, at, but it didn't happen. So now we're looking for blame, okay? Uh, who was the fault why Patrick Mahomes had that second half? Eric Bieniemy. It's got to be Eric Bieniemy's fault. Uh, he got in a screaming match with Patrick at halftime, and uh, the offense wasn't the same. So uh, he's the issue. It's his fault. We all want to address our faults, and Brett Beach is king at addressing faults where we came up short. He proved it in 2018 when it was Bob Sutton's fault. He proved it last year when it was the entire offensive line's fault. So now we're going to sit here and say, okay, is it Bieniemy, or do we need another receiver, or do we explore? Explore trading Tyreek Hill. Uh, there's a lot of things that Brett Beach should digest. What do I think he should do? Pay Tyreek Hill his money tomorrow. Make him the highest paid wide receiver. Give him a fat cash because he deserves it. If not, then you better explore getting a whole buttload of trap picks uh, in return if you're going to trade Tyreek Hill. Again, there's no source. I have no source. It's all hypotheticals we're dealing with here when we're thinking about what Brett Beach is thinking right now at this moment and from tomorrow moving forward. Well, we talk about needs on the defensive side, which I think that, again, Brett Veach is going to take care of those needs. I think you're going to see the Chiefs have a much better defense, especially in the front seven, than they had this last season, which was an absolute detriment to them not getting to a Super Bowl. But there's also once, and there's some big ones, and I think you mentioned it right there with the wide receiver position. I think that the Chiefs... Last offseason had a couple opportunities to get some guys. They they whiffed on Juju, and it looked like they after that they just kind of wrapped up shop and didn't focus on the wide receiver position. This offseason, they have to address it. They 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 need to go and get that big once. And according to Mike Gennetti of Spotrack, you're seeing the Chiefs not only have a ton of money 
go into their cap structure this offseason and in 2023 as well league-wide. But you're also hearing about these top-tier free agent wide receivers like Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, guys like, the, guys like that that will be available that aren't willing to just go and sign these big lucrative deals this offseason, but rather bet on themselves, get a one-year deal this year, and then wait for the 2023 cap structure to go and cash out. This is going to help teams like the Chiefs massively because they do. we all know that we want to see that wide receiver too here. And I know you're a big believer of Byron Pringle and guys like that, but I do think the Chiefs have a golden opportunity here to capitalize and add some serious talent to the wide receiver position, in particular with Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think are the most realistic big hits that the Chiefs can get this offseason. If you had to choose between one of these two guys, Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster, Shane, who would you rather have? Let me just say this. I wish Patrick would have threw it to Byron Pringle. <laughs> it would have validated everything I've been championing Byron Pringle's the man. But specifically to answer that question, um, I think it's going to be Juju because I think Juju wants to. I think Juju Smith-Schuster is going to get that second chance. He knew he screwed himself. I think he knew he wanted to be on the Chiefs. But for some reason, at the last second, he got cold feet and went back to play a with the Steelers, which I think he knows is a mistake. I think it will be Juju, who I want personally is Mike Williams, man. The dude's a beast. He's physical, but I think he's going to demand too much money. Uh, I think Juju Smith-Schuster, the fact that, like I said, he wants to be here. He knew he made a mistake. It only makes sense for him to get the deal. I don't think Brett Veach will have to overpay for Juju. I'm not going to say Juju's going to take a cap-friendly, team-friendly deal, but I think that um, – it makes sense to get Juju, but I'd love for Brink Pringle to stay, and I would love for – it's just my preferences. I love Mike Williams, man, not just because we got to share the same last name. I promise we're not related. He is just a freaking beast on the field, man. I love Mike Williams. He's a threat. I hate going up against him when we play the Chargers. Uh, and usually we see teams when we throughout my entire, at least the last 30 years, when you see teams, cornerbacks, wide receivers, offensive linemen, running backs, you see free agents when they leave, they like to stay in the division. They like to stay in the division. You see players from the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chiefs. You see players that they like to stay in the division because they like the familiarity. I got my fingers crossed. If it's not Juju Smith-Schuster, it'll be Mike Williams. But those are my two preferences. But who I think it's going to be. If you had me, if you had a gun to my head, say pick one. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Juju just because he knows he made a mistake last year. Another final question for you, Shaggy, and I, and I want you to expand on this one because this is something you and I have talked about for quite some time, and and, and you and I have been uh, not afraid to to criticize Andy Reid. We both love him, and we're both very happy he's here in Kansas City, and he has been an absolute blessing to us here in Kansas City. He has been. He's the best coach, in my opinion, in Chiefs history. And that's only going to continue because I think he he isn't going anywhere. And There's going to be a lot of success that follows him and Patrick Mahomes, who have the best head coach quarterback duo in the league. And I think that's not, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But I said last week uh, on our episode that the, the number one priority for me and the number one decision I want to see the Chiefs make, I want to see Andy Reid humble himself this offseason. And, and focus on a more balanced attack offensively. I'm not saying it needs to be a 50-50 pass-run option. I know that Andy Reid is always going to be a pass-happy head coach. 
But I want to see him challenge himself that when he sees the run game working, he continues to go to it. He continues to utilize it because you said, and we've seen in the AFC Championship, the Chiefs were getting any and everything they wanted in the run game, and he avoided it in that second half. They only had nine running plays. Now, I know Eric Benamy's calling the plays, but Andy Reid, if it, if it is all true that it is still him that decides the game plan, and it's him that tells Eric Benamy what to run and how we want to run things, I feel that running the ball when you're run, when you're getting the six and a half six point seven yards per carry, you probably should continue to do that and control the tempo and allow Patrick Mahomes to decide what he's going to do in the red zone, but get the run game involved more and and make that defense who's dropping seven and eight in the pass coverage have to respect the run game more. Do you think there's a chance in going into year I believe twenty two? as a head coach in this league, that an old dog, if you will, can learn new tricks and decide, you know what, I've been successful this way, but I can be more successful this way. Do you think Andy Reid will finally decide this offseason that that's the best course of action, or do you believe he's going to bet on himself and his mentality, his philosophy leading into this offseason, that's going to be the best way to work? That's a loaded question, Lance. If you're asking me to predict what Andy Reid's going to do, uh, I can say what I hope he can do because uh what do they say a tiger don't change its spots uh cat doesn't change where it poops <laughs> i mean we're gonna sit here and try to speculate what andy reached i'll tell you what as a team his leaders got to step up i was on a with donnell bennett and kimball anders and noah groniger and clint Schweitzer and on starcade media with brian B. Shyman Brooks from Hot 103 Jams. And Donnell Bennett asked us, he said, what was the one thing, what was the one thing that you feel that was the Chiefs' fault and that they couldn't overcome in the second half of the AFC Championship game? And I said, momentum. Once momentum went against Kansas City, they were unable to address that. And Donnell Bennett, former chief and this I take heed to what he has to say and we all should he was at that game he was at all the chiefs he was at this he was at the AFC championship game and he said when he noticed momentum went against the chiefs here we go here's the answer to that question Lance the leaders did not go up and down the sidelines the leaders of the chiefs team we did not he did not he was looking for the team captains when momentum was obviously against us and they were not going up and down the sidelines say come on we got to turn this around because what happened in the divisional round of the 2019 when we got behind 24 to nothing, Patrick Mahomes was in everybody's ear. They gave up a bomb on the first play to the Texans for a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes said, come on. He was going up and down the sidelines. Come on. We can overcome this. Dustin Colquitt gets a punt block for a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes is going up and down the sidelines. Come on. We can overcome this. While it was really bleak and things were going against us early, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were going up and down the sidelines. Now going to that game, and it changed the fate. Our leaders stepped up in the 2019 playoffs. In the AFC Championship game uh, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, when things were going against us, CBS kept showing a uh, close-up of Patrick Mahomes, and he was just sitting there staring off into space. There was something on his mind. In my opinion, the leaders, Patrick Mahomes included, needed to be going up at the sidelines and how can how can we uh how can we change this we momentum is going against us 
Now, for your question, I want to work this into the answer to that question about what Andy Reid can do. Andy Reid could look to his players and his leaders for when momentum is going against us to think, okay, how can we change this? We're running the ball. We're getting six and seven yards a carry. We need to go back to running the ball to get this momentum back on our side. Let's slow things down because Patrick Mahomes is looking uncomfortable on the sidelines as well as behind the center. How can we get the momentum back to our side? Let's continue to run the ball. Jerick McKinnon was averaging six and a half yards a carry for the AFC Championship game. How can we continue? How can we get momentum back on our side? Continue to run in with him. Speaking of him, he's decided a one-year deal. Is he going to come back? But moving forward to next year, I would like to see us have a running game. I don't know if Andy Reid's going to do it because Andy Reid's going to do what Andy Reid do, but I would like for it them to have a running game to work with our interior offensive line because that's Brett Veach addressing the interior of offensive line is something that we're going to be so proud of for many years to come. Lance, we could do another show, even though we do have another show later on with Pat Mahomes. <laughs> we could do another show about the entire Chiefs offensive line and where the strengths are. There's no reason why the Chiefs don't run the ball more. Andy Reid needs to do it. And in totality, Andy Reid needs to rely on his leaders to be leaders when momentum goes against us. His leaders need to step up. Yes, he should run the football. That is our guy, Shaggy Shane. He absolutely dropped some knowledge today. I know we're usually a lot more pumped up because of the fact that, you know, the Chiefs usually give us a lot more blessings than uh, than curses, if you will. It's been a rough stretch. Like I said, I know, Shaggy, I know you take everything to heart too, man, and it's been a rough one. But I'm, uh, I'm choosing optimism in this one because, again, the Chiefs have so many advantages. Even though the AFC is starting to stockpile and become more talented, especially at the quarterback position, and we're going to talk about the Super Bowl in just a second, but... Even though there was a second-half blunder, I still believe that the Chiefs have by far the best quarterback in the league and the best head coach-quarterback duo, one of the most talented rosters, and one of the most proven, driven, motivated, and aggressive GMs in football. And I trust all of them, and I, tr and I believe in all of them, and I think the Chiefs are going to continue to become Super Bowl contenders. You see Bovada and Las Vegas, they still have the Chiefs before any moves have been made this offseason as the favorites to get back into the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. There's a reason for that. This team is ready to go. They're experienced. No team has won more playoff games. No team has had more Super Bowl appearances outside of the Rams. And no one has hosted more AFC championships than the Chiefs have since 2018. And I have full confidence. I know you do. I can't wait for your show. And because of that, I would love for you to plug your show. Let the people know where they can find you. First, I want to say, are you saying I'm not being optimistic? Huh? Oh, you're optimistic. Are you saying you're I'm Mr. Not optimistic. <laughs> You say you're going to be optimist. I'm optimist. The Chiefs are the favorite. The Chiefs are the AFC favorite next year, and we'll expand on that with Pat Mahomes later on. You'll hear his podcast drop here in a couple hours. The Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the AFC. That's going to be a rivalry that we're going to be proud of for a long time. It sucks. It sucks to have to go up against them because you know that they want us. They know that we're big dog. I know Cincinnati came in, and they, they were a cute little story. And uh, they, their cute three-man rush caused Eric Bieniemy to shit his pants calling the plays in the AFC Championship game. But I do not think the Cincinnati Bengals will be back. It's the Chiefs and the Bills, man. It's the Chiefs and the Bills for years. It's going to be Josh Allen, the quarterback, against Patrick Mahomes for many years to come, just like it was Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. 
You can find me later on and Lance Twidwell on the Big Mahomes Show with Pat Mahomes. It's going to be coming out in a couple hours. And you can find me with Darren Smith of 18WHB. I'm not going to slight Darren. Darren was on there too. So that's going to be coming out in a couple hours with Pat Mahomes. And you can find my season-ending show, the 2020-21, the 2021 season-ending show tomorrow on all Shaggy Networks. Just look for Shaggy Shane. Uh, we're going to expand. We're going to look forward. And we're going to talk about the AFC Championship game. We're going to take a brief look back. And we're going to talk about what the Chiefs can do great moving forward. Lance, Trevor, Eddie, it's great to be sitting here on your show. You can find me on Twitter at ShaggyShaneKC. I don't tweet much. I just follow Lance. And I say, good tweet, Lance. Or then I say, what the hell are you talking about, Lance? And I say, retweet, Lance. That's what, that's what Shaggy Shane on Twitter is. But in a nutshell, I'm looking forward to the Pat Mahomes show, the big Mahomes show with you, Lance and Darren. And uh, tune in tomorrow for the Shaggy Shane show. They're going to be sick of us, Lance. They're going to be saying, man, I heard Shaggy Shane on the Spoken. Uh, I heard him on the big Mahomes show. Now I got to turn into his show this weekend. I am so sick of Shaggy Shane and Lance. They're talking too much. <laughs> no one can be sick of Shaggy Shane. We're not sick of him. We can have him on here every damn week. My brother, I really do appreciate you. I'm very much looking forward to the Big Mahomes show with you. I'm very much looking forward to your show, your farewell show for this year. But I can't wait until your introductory comes back for next season when you get all hyped up and ready to go and get us all pumped up. Hi. Brother, it's always fun right to talk now. to you, man. <laughs> Love you, man. Be safe. Take care, Trevor. Later on, Eddie. You too, Love you, bro. That's our guy, Shaggy Shane Williams. As always, he brings it, man. He brings the knowledge. He always gives us serene understanding, a good viewpoint, a good uh, perspective on things. He gives he. What I love about Shane is he's always going to give you his honesty. He's never going to bullshit you. He's never going to tell you something you want to hear or don't want to hear just to do that. He's always going to give us what we want to hear, and that's why we have him on the show. We love integrity. We love take integrity on this show. And speaking of take integrity, I want to segment, segue rather, over to a, a little bit of a recap of what we saw in the Super Bowl. Just want to briefly go over that real quick because that game did happen, whether uh, you watched it or weren't interested in in it or you were interested in it. the fact is it broke records about 100 was it 113 million viewers were watching that game which is by far the most that we've ever had in a super bowl yeah. you could say the halftime show probably helped significantly with that but i will say this um despite the fact the chiefs weren't in this game there was a lot to really look forward to this one you guys know there's no question about it that matt stafford is matthew stafford is a guy that i have very much championed for 10 plus years uh, he was wasted away in Detroit for 12 seasons, 11 seasons, and was not given an opportunity to succeed. Well, he gets one opportunity to yeah. succeed with a proven head coach and a great roster, and he goes and, goes and wins himself a Super Bowl. Now, there was a lot in this game that I want to unpack, but I, I want to keep it. I want to keep it as short and segmented as possible because I definitely want to get Trevor and Eddie's thoughts on this as well. Because you guys watched this game just like I did. I was expecting this game to be a blowout. I was expecting the Rams to go in there and beat the beat the Bengals by more than I think I said three touchdowns if I'm not mistaken, because I felt that the Rams were the only team that deserved to be in that game of the two. I think that the Bengals were a team, as my uh, my guy Colin Cowherd said, it was beautiful. It felt like that March Madness team yep. that was like a, a like a 13, 12, 13 seed that just hit a couple buzzer beaters and advanced, and they just got hot. 
That's what the Bengals were. They they absolutely advanced because of I think they 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 capitalized on a lot of luck, and I do say capitalized because I got to give them credit. They did capitalize, but the AFC North, which is annually one of the best, if not the best, division in football, faltered humongously due to injuries, due to players not playing up to their expect expected levels. You had the Ravens that were by far the most injured team in football. They just could not stay healthy this year. You had the Browns, who a lot of people were penciling to go to the Super Bowl this year. Baker Mayfield got hurt and played terribly. They got hurt themselves on the defense defensive side. Things just did not click, and we saw Ben Roethlisberger, once again, looking like the walking dead with a helmet, could not play football to a high level and kept that good roster down. They had the defensive player of the year, and it didn't matter. They got absolutely just demolished. Everything had to go right for the Steelers just to get in the playoffs, and they got shellacked by the Chiefs in the in the first round. So the Bengals capitalized on a bad division vision for the first time in what seems to be forever, and you saw the way that the playoffs went for the Bengals, where it was more about what the, their opposition didn't do rather than what they did do because Joe Burrow and the Bengals did not play very well during the playoffs. We saw Joe Burrow, it took him four playoff games to have as many touchdown passes as Patrick Mahomes had in two quarters against the Steelers. Like, think about that for a second. Joe Burrow was extremely underwhelming, and I know he's getting all this praise. He got to the Super Bowl. He's reinvigorated the the, the Bengals. They haven't been this great in 30-plus years. That's all true. But you saw it in this game that if it wasn't for an OBJ torn ACL, if it wasn't for multiple tight ends going out for the Rams, if it wasn't for the great defensive effort that I saw from the Bengals' defense stopping the Rams' run game completely, there was at one point in that game, I think the Rams had 18 rushes for 29 yards. They couldn't do shit on the ground. That front seven for the Bengals was phenomenal. But I didn't see what everybody else keeps telling me about Joe Burrow. And this is coming from a Joe Burrow fan. A guy that I I have been championing him since his LSU days. I'm like, this guy is going to be fucking awesome in this league. And I think he's going to be. And I think he already is. But the same energy I give with Justin Herbert is the same energy I give Joe Burrow. That when it comes down to it, are you special? And I had I did not see special one time in these in this postseason from Joe Burrow. Not a single game. In the Raiders game, we talked about it, Trevor. I felt like the Raiders were just as good, and I felt Derek Carr was just as good of a quarterback in that game. Ryan Tannehill was atrocious, and the Bengals still couldn't score 20 points in that game going into overtime. And then you see in the AFC Championship, if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes having the worst half of his career, the Chiefs win that game by 24 points, and we're not even having this discussion of Joe Burrow being in the Super Bowl. And outside of a 75-yard touchdown pass, the first drive of the third quarter that should have been called back for offensive pass interference when T. Higgins literally ripped Jalen Ramsey's fucking head off. Joe Burrow had 188 yards and zero touchdowns in that game. I'm sorry, guys. I don't see the special. Matt Stafford, I told you guys before the game, was clearly the better quarterback going into that one. You saw it. I know he had two picks. One of them was a really bad decision. The other one, his backup was with a third-string wide receiver. handed it to the defender. It wasn't even on Matt Stafford. It was a beautiful ball. And we saw one of the greatest passes in the history of the NFL when he did the no-look to Cooper Cup on a third down. We saw a fourth down call from Sean McVay, which was balls. I believe it was on their own 31-yard line. It was a fourth and two. They run the ball to Cooper Cup and he does a perfect slide in yeah. ball that gets him seven yards and advances them and it ends up being the game winning drive. The Rams are the right team to win this game because if the Bengals would have won, it would have been four straight games where the Bengals benefited off the other team failing from being what we expected them to be which was the better team. I think this was, ju- just a, it was, this was justice because the Rams all the way into the playoffs were clearly the better team with the much tougher road. Matt Stafford to me solidified what I know him to be which is a future 
Hall of Fame quarterback because people are pissed off at me and people like me that say these things, but I don't hear the same energy and same repercussions about Joe Namath and John Elway and Troy Aikman and guys like that that coattailed their ways to success or weren't successful at all to begin with. Guys like Joe Namath and Terry Bradshaw who would win a Super Bowl game with 96 passing yards and got first round first uh, first team All Pro votes and got themselves in the Hall of Fame. Matt Stafford, if he retired now, would be 12th all-time in passing yards, 12th all-time in, pa- in passing touchdowns, and is currently right now amongst all current quarterbacks, number one in game-winning drives, number one in fourth-quarter comebacks. There is no question in my mind Matt Stafford proved what he is, was a guy that was held back by a shit franchise in Detroit all these years, and the moment he gets an opportunity to shine, he outshines the next white knight that people are trying to crown Joe Burrow be. He was the better quarterback, he was the better performer, and he went down there and had a game-winning drive, three game-winning drives drives in one playoff. He finished, I believe, was it 35 yards, 31 yards short of Eli Manning for the most yards in a single postseason. Matt Stafford is showing what he has been all along, a proven commodity, a Hall of Fame quarterback that is finally on a great team with a great coach, and it would not shock me at all if the Rams are right back into that game next year because they have the talent, they have the recipe, they have the second, maybe, probably, I would say, I would say, probably the second best head coach quarterback combo in the league right now because Sean McVay is an elite head coach and Matt Stafford to me if there was that third guy like I said I would probably have to vote Matt Stafford as an elite elite quarterback in this league because of what he's proven I mean the dude finished with 6,000 total passing yards playoffs included over 50 touchdowns I mean it, it, it was it was it seven game winning drives six fourth quarter comebacks just this season like Cooper Cup, what he did, greatest receive, wide receiver season we've ever seen. Matt Stafford, we don't give him enough credit for what he did. Did he have turnovers? Did he have pick sixes? Yes. But he was still learning this offense as he was going this year. This was his first season in this offense. And he goes out there and does what he does. All praise to the Rams. I don't know what they're going to do this offseason. I don't know how they're going to construct this team or retool this team. But i got to give them credit because they deserved every inch of what they got this year. And I couldn't be happier for them. And until Joe Burrow and the Beagles proved to me they could get back to what they've done, and until Joe Burrow can show me that he can play special in big games, which he hasn't to this point, I'm not buying in, and I'm with what Shane just said. I think the Chiefs and the Bills are the face and the representation. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the face and the representation of the AFC playoff picture, and and, and I believe they're the two strongest fronts in the AFC moving forward. Yeah, the the game wasn't that great. Um, It was pretty boring most of the game, to be honest. Neither team was playing that well. The second half was definitely better than the first half. Um, but the, the the air did get sucked. I mean, I, I would say this. I think the Rams were rolling to begin the game. I think they were they were looking great. OBJ was was rolling, and once he went down, that definitely sucked a lot of the air out of that stadium and out of that fan base, or just that team in general. It took a lot of the life out of them for a little bit there, and they had to overcome that. And talk about momentum. You know, when when Shaggy was talking about how the Chiefs couldn't overcome that momentum uh, uh, switch up. Uh, they the Rams were able to do that because when OBJ went down, the momentum started going and rolling towards the Bengals' way, and they started kind of getting things going defensively, and they and they finally got their touchdown, and they started rolling a little more offensively, um, and then the second half occurred, and then the Rams kind of started taking that back a little bit, um, and then yeah, man, I mean, kudos to Cooper Cup, uh, having arguably the greatest wide receiver season ever, um, you know, uh, rivaling um, you know Jerry Rice. Uh, is the only guy to maybe you know, be up for that discussion, which is insane yeah. uh, from where he's come from, you know, the things he's overcome to put himself in this position. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it was fun to watch him this year. Um, and anybody who had him in fantasy this year uh, is very thankful because I'm sure he won you a lot of money. Um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, the game the game was okay. Uh, definitely would have been much more entertaining if it was Chiefs-Rams, if I'm being honest. And that's just not even me as a Chiefs fan. That's me as a football fan. It would have been much more entertaining, I think so. Um, and the, the as far as the Bengals go, yeah, they had their run. Um, I, I do agree with you and, and Shana. Also, I'll, I'll, I'll be the third to join that train there. Um, I think, you know, I think the Bengals had their run. I think this was a, they overachieved. Um, they, 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 a lot of things broke their way, not even just in the postseason, but in the regular season, you know, yeah. like you said, the division going down, being banged up, a lot of star players down, um, them capitalizing on some bad teams, you know, getting, you know, those, those W's in the, in the W column, racking those up against some bad teams and, uh, you know, uh, and then the, allowing the chiefs to absolutely shit themselves. Um, you know, I 100% in a belief that the Chiefs lost that game. We beat ourselves. It wasn't the other way around. They did nothing special to completely take that game away from us. Um, you know, and it showed in the Super Bowl. You know, they they, uh, they met the better team. The Rams, I predicted them to be in the Super Bowl all along. I didn't predict them to win it, but I did believe that they were a Super Bowl team. And I, I couldn't be happier for Stafford, man. Uh, I really couldn't. I think this was, this was the icing on the cake for him. This was the cherry on top um, of, a, of a, you know, a career that's been riddled with, you know, uh, lack of success. You know, he's been stuck in, you know, arguably the worst franchise in football, the Detroit Lions, um, you know, rivaling the Browns maybe for the worst franchise in football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he got his one shot here and he took it and he capitalized and he's got a ring now. He's a champion forever, you know. Uh, he, he, um, he earned the respect of Aaron Donald. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, defensive player of all time, resume-wise. Is now a champion now because of Stafford as well. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I I I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be happier for Cooper Cup having a not only you know the greatest the, the triple crown and then getting a, a Super Bowl MVP. That's that's a legend that's never going to die now. Um, and I, I am with you. I do agree. Um, granted, this is out of my hands on what decision is made, but I do believe Matt Stafford has earned his uh, his Hall of Fame jacket. I think he's uh, I think he's earned that spot now. Um, because he's always been a great quarterback. He's always had great moments on bad, just been stuck in a terrible spot. So, could be happy for McVay. That's the first thing I st- I put on my social media. Could be happier for McVay. You know, Aaron Donald, Stafford, Cooper Cup. These guys all put in the work. This team went all in, and they got it. There's probably nothing more satisfying as a team to go all in. Everyone knows you're it. all in. Everyone's giving you their, their best fight because they know that you're all in. They want to what they want to be the team that makes you fail after going all in, make you look like a fool for doing it. They overcame it all. They went all in, and they got it all. Yep. That is the ultimate sports story, man, going all in and putting all your chips in the middle, betting on yourself, and you do it. You know, and this was McVay's second chance because he failed the first time he went. You know, and he, he went and upgraded at quarterback, and now uh, it shows you how important that position is, right? So, um, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a great game. It was pretty ugly, pretty boring and dull a lot of time. Um, I think the viewership obviously has helped by the halftime show and by it being in California probably helps a whole lot. You know, so the viewership there being in a big market like that, um, you know, in a fresh new stadium, an incredible stadium to fit a ton of people too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for the Rams. If it wasn't, if it wasn't the Chiefs going in one of the Super Bowl, I wanted to see Stafford go get a chip this year, and you know, that was second best on my list. So, congrats to the Rams and McVay and the guys. Man, yeah, I'm with Trevor on this. This was a pretty boring Super Bowl, other than the second half being uh, anything of exciting. This, this game wasn't that impressive to me. Uh, like, the Rams had every opportunity to, to go out there and and dominate the, this game. But yeah. for some reason, just Matthew Stafford and the offense weren't clicking at the beginning. 
Uh, and then obviously OBJ goes down, and then the, the offense starts to struggle even more. Yeah. Uh, they they can't get Jefferson going. They can't get anything going. Uh, the running game was pretty pretty much non-existent. Yeah. But towards the the second half, towards the end of the second half, they started making those adjustments, and you know I think Stafford started uh, taking what what that defense was giving him, uh, and he was taking those quick passes. Cooper Cup was making those clutch catches. You know, like Fred clutch catches. <laughs> Shout out Fred. Uh, God. Uh, but yeah. Uh, for the Bengals, everything went went their way the entire playoffs. I, I think they they were lucky enough to to beat the Raiders. Uh, I, I do think the Raiders had the opportunity to beat and them. The Titans, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then the Titans game, uh, Ryan Tannehill did everything in his power to throw this game away, to throw that game away. Yeah. Uh, the the Bengals couldn't score like you said more than twenty points. They couldn't even break uh, fifteen points. I think this they got like a sixteen. Uh, and then what was it? Nineteen sixteen, I think it was the final score. Yeah, yeah nineteen to sixteen with overtime. The, the overtime. <laughs> and it took a field goal to 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 go to go to the AFC Championship after Ryan Tannehill gives you three turnovers. Yeah, three picks. I mean, the the the, the Bengals had the opportunity to go. I mean, the Titans had the opportunity to, to to put that game away, but obviously Ryan Tannehill chucked it away. Then they went. To, then they went to Kansas City. The Chiefs were dominating the entire first half. It, it, it was this game wasn't even close. You can't even say it's like, well, you know, the game was close. No, the game wasn't close at all. And then the second half, the Chiefs came out and just said, hey, you know what, Bengals, we don't want to go to the fucking uh, Super Bowl this year. We're gonna take a break and then we'll we'll, we'll we'll get back to it next year. So, take the free ticket. They got to the Super Bowl and the defense played good. They played good. Uh, obviously, Stafford and the Rams were limited to what they can do. Uh, with uh, Higby being out and you OBJ. know uh, OBJ going down, so they were they're a little bit limited. Their defense obviously was a little banged up in the back as well. Uh, obviously having to bring back uh, Weddle, uh, so that tells you how that how banged up that secondary was for the Rams. So overall, it just it was it was a and I can't even say all right game. It was a boring game. Uh, other than the, other than the halftime being what it was. There's not much you can say about the game being It ended exciting. on an exciting note. Yeah. Outside I, I, of that. Yes. Uh, and then the refs. Oh, my God. <laughs> the refs, again, made a made, made themselves uh, very noticeable this uh, this game. They were big contributors in a lot of, in a lot of plays. Uh, there's uh, the fourth and one for the Bengals at the end of the game. Uh, their, last, their last down. Aaron Donald was lined up offside. Yep. Clearly. Yep. But by his whole head was offside. You can't even say it's like, well, it's just his hand. Oh, yeah, he was. No, it was like his entire head and you, almost his shoulders were, were uh, lined up offside. So that was just a bad, bad missed call. And then you also have the Rams on the on the winning touchdown to Cooper Cup, I believe it was, where you had the, the uh, right tackle and the left tackle both jumping off early and the ball hadn't, had, hadn't been snapped yet. And right. the refs let that go. And then obviously the face mask, face mask to Jalen Ramsey on that touchdown for the Bengals. The Blatant. Yeah. It was just bad. And then there's some pass interference calls that you're just like, how the fuck is that pass interference? Like, so I, I guess the refs uh, were more notable this game than the than both uh, teams were. Yeah. But yeah. So. Well, and, and I want to say I want to add this, and we, we're going to move on to our final segment of the day, and it, it's about Joe Burrow, and and I have to I have to re. 
I want I want to give him credit because he did have a good season. He really did. He had thirty seven touchdowns. Yeah. He had fourteen. I mean, he did have fourteen interceptions, which was more than Patrick Mahomes, who people said was broken. What? Uh, he had he had over forty six hundred passing yards. He had a really good season. Yeah. And he capitalized on some really golden opportunities. The Ravens being awful, and the Steelers being very mediocre, and the the Browns, Browns just being what choking. the fuck that was. Yeah. I mean, there were so many things they capitalized. He had capitalized on bad. He even said it in the Week Seventeen game against the Chiefs. Yeah, we had some bad calls. Well, he capitalized on them, and he did the same thing in the playoffs. But here's here's some truth, man. And I, I hate to I hate to be the guy that says this, man, because it sounds like I'm being a hater, but I'm not. So Kevin Cole, who does work for Pro Football Focus, who I do not like at all, but there is there is truth to this. So you guys know what EPA is? It's expected points added. So quarterbacks they're getting ranked by expected points they bring to the equation. Well, since 2006, there are 32 court quarterbacks that apply uh, qualify for this uh, in the playoffs. Joe Burrow has the fifth worst EPA in playoff history since 2006 amongst all those quarterbacks. The only worst quarterbacks that were that were worse than Joe Burrow in EPA during his playoff run were 2018's Jared Goff, 2019's Jimmy Garoppolo, 2015 Peyton Manning, who we knew he was he was done He's at done. that point, and then 2006 Rex Grossman. Those are the only quarterbacks that were worse than him in EPA. And again, I'm all for him being special. That Show O-line, me that O line is bad. Yeah, and the O line is bad. Yeah. But you know, all the the O line all last season was bad for Patrick Mahomes. Yep. It was all season. Yep. And he had an MVP season and got to the Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for them getting even worse, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I get that that offensive line is bad. My point, though, is the dude had a loaded roster. Their defense played out of their minds the entire postseason. Chiefs played great against them in the first half, but you saw the way they did transition and adjust. It made it more difficult for the Chiefs. And he has so many good weapons. We've been hearing about him all year with Jamar Chase being Offensive Rookie of the Year, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd, with Joe Mixon, with Azuma. They had all these guys healthy. Yeah. And they... One touchdown in the second half, and it shouldn't even have counted. This is why I don't like the Joe Burrow special argument. It's ridiculous at this point. He's he really, could he's, be. He's really good, but he's Patrick Mahomes is special. Yes. You know, guys like that are special. Like Josh Allen, I think, has a potential to be special because of all, all that he brings to the game and how he can, can completely take over a game. Joe Burrow doesn't have that yet in my mind. Right. He's very accurate. He makes good decisions. He's won a lot of games in his football career, but he's also been on loaded teams, for being honest. I'm not saying this Bengals seems loaded. Offensively, yes. Right. I mean, people yeah, obviously people obviously think that their weapons are yes. better than the Chiefs, right? right. So, I mean, if we're going to give Patrick the, the, the argument of whether, you know, oh, he's good because of his weapons, well, let's talk about Joe Burrows because apparently they're yeah. better, right? So, I don't think he's special yet. People have already kind of crowned him really prematurely. Pat has, was crowned prematurely, but he's done nothing but prove it true. His first season, then. he threw for 5,000 yards this of is 50 what I'm saying. touchdowns. Yeah, he, he, that's, that is special, Yeah. right? That Not everybody's just going to get that special trademark. He's not earned that yet in my mind. I think he's really good, and I think he has the potential to even better be better than he is. And I think he will be because, you know, given more protection, he's going to grow um, and stay healthy because he's already been he's sprained his MCL in the Super Bowl again. So, you know, he's had major injuries already. Um, but, yeah, I don't like – I just don't like that narrative that's already going around about Joe Burrow being special because I haven't really seen that yet, especially yeah. in the biggest games. And you're right, and I'm going to tell you why you're right about the whole difference in special with Patrick being special and Joe not being special right. for this. Okay, we look at that game in the AFC Championship and go, God, what a blunder from Patrick, right? And, oh, my God, Joe yeah. Burrow triumph was triumphant. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes had a higher completion percentage in that game, mm-hmm. threw more 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 yards, more touchdowns. 
and again had a higher completion percentage, more completions, and a higher quarterback rating Basically than Joe Burrow in that game. Half. As bad as Patrick <laughs> was in the second half, yeah. he still outperformed Joe Burrow in totality. So that's the point. You're right. Special. Now this is everybody wanted to make that Tom Brady comparison. Mm. This is the real comparison here. Andrew Luck. You know I'm gonna tell you why. Because when Andrew Luck came out of college, everyone goes, oh, my God, yeah. this is the next guy. Joe Burrow comes out of college. Oh, my God, this is the next guy. Goes to a team that is a Midwest team that, you know, is kind of in between. You don't really know what's going to come of them at this point. You know, they got this unproven coach. Same with uh, Andrew Luck at that time. Then you have this situation where you can't protect the guy to save your life. Yeah. You guys realize that, okay, Joe Burrow's 25 years old right now. By his year 30, his season and year at age 30, He's on pace to be sacked 391 times. Well, think about this, Which too. would be sixth all time. Well, think about this, too. I don't I don't think he's better than Andrew Luck. I'll say that right now. I think Andrew Luck was the better quarterback. but And, and Andrew Luck is much bigger. Bigger yeah, frame. He broke down. Yeah. Now, Joe is six foot four, 220 pounds. He's I'm a big dude. I'm saying as far as mass. Andrew yes. Luck was a big dude. But yeah. Andrew Luck broke down. He yeah. couldn't take it anymore. I'm not right. saying it's going to happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope Joe Burrow has a long, healthy career. I want to see this dude make He's the Hall of Fame. He's already had one major yeah. injury. I want to see him make the Hall of Fame. I want to yeah. see him have great success. Yeah, of course. I like But, yeah, but yeah. there is something to this, Trevor. The franchise he plays for. Okay, they just had a great season. Mm-hmm. I'll give it to him. Yeah. But can we give full confidence the Bengals are going to get him that protection? No. I'm not going to give them that. And as great as Jamar Chase is, hindsight, it probably was a better idea to go and draft Panay Sewell at number five Mm. than Jamar Chase. I know Jamar Chase and him had a great season together, but you've got to protect and sustain Joe Burrow. Because if Joe Burrow is special then you're going to be able to go and play at a high level without Jamar Chase. But you've got to be able to protect because, like I said, numbers without the, him, but, the two yeah. most important things we all agree on, that why the Chiefs can get to Super Bowls, is Patrick Mahomes and making sure he stays healthy. Well, having Tyreek Hill isn't more important than having protection, right? Like, I love Tyreek Hill, and I would take him over Tyron Matthew and things of that nature. But if I can facilitate protection around Patrick, I'm going to trust that Patrick's going to make other pieces around him better He's or look it. better. He's done it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the point I'm trying to make here, man, is that you got to be able to build around Joe, and I don't have the confidence. And, in fact, I mentioned this in the Big Big Mahomes show with Pat. Pat asks me this direct question. Who do you think is going to have the toughest time getting back to the playoffs? And I actually think it's going to be the Bengals. Not because of Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor's done a good job. But they got so much they got to do on both sides of the ball this offseason. And I don't know the Bengals to be a team that can retool yeah, and restrap. So yes, I don't know if they're going to do it. And again, the AFC North is going to be back next year. The Ravens are going to be back next yeah, year. Yeah. The Browns will be better next year. The Steelers can only get better because they're going to have a better quarterback next year. <laughs> so that's the point I'm trying to make. And they added Brian Flores, who mm-hmm. we now know he's going to add so much for that defense who's already awesome. Yeah. Oh my God! Like, think about what TJ they're going to do. Yeah. So the Bengals can't board. rely on a bad division anymore. It's going to be back. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that they're going to have to work on this offseason. I don't think it's going to be enough. Now I'm not giving predictions yet. They could. They could go out there and kill it this offseason. I'm like, shit. They're the best team in the AFC now. Like, well, we don't know. And there's a Super Bowl hangover too for teams yeah. that go in there and lose the Super Bowl, especially you know a young guy like that. The last uh, sixteen yeah, quarterbacks yeah. to lose their first Super Bowl never get back. Yeah. The last sixteen. I think, and I think a lot of the Joe Burrow hype is because of his charisma and he's cool and you know he has that cool. Sure. He already has that veteran kind of vibe to him, where he's a, you know he's a younger guy, but he has that real good. Look like a hamburger at the yeah, Super yeah. Bowl. Cool, and I yeah. like him, man. I really do. I like he's good for football, yeah. right? He's a good story for football. He's a winner. He's coming from a big school, maybe arguably the best uh, college football team of all time at LSU. So yeah, he's a good story. He's a winner. He's a, he's proven that. And he obviously just got to the Super Bowl with you know. A uh, pretty unprecedented way of getting there. 
um, and went through, you know, some battles to get there. Granted, things fell their way, of course, but yeah, I, I want to. I just think people need to chill with the special talk. Like a, he's not. I just don't think he's there yet. I could be very wrong. He could definitely go out there and prove me wrong, and you know, take over the AFC next year. Who knows? Um, but but we need to chill with the special talk. And I, that's that's where we're going to leave it because I couldn't agree more. We have one more order of business to get to, guys. What is it called? Hold, Hold this L. L. Each and every week we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports. We promise you who's ever holding those L's in the world of sports deserve those L's. Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, Eddie Ortiz, who's holding the L for you this week, and why is it F1? <laughs> not F1. Not, not, not yet. Not yet. Maybe in a couple weeks. No, but I'm going to give it to the fucking Olympics. Mm. Why am I going to give it to the Olympics? A 15-year-old figure skater from Russia tested positive for a, for a, uh, 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 something that has to do with your heart, like that helps your heart or something like that, and it's a banned substance in, in, this, uh, in the Olympics. Well, they went to, to uh, the court or whatever, uh, and then she was deemed uh, eligible to compete in the Olympics. Uh, they just won't hold a, a ceremony if she was to place in the first uh, three places, which is gold, uh, silver, or uh, bronze. Thank God she came fourth. But you didn't suspend a 15-year-old because you think you thought you said that it was going to be uh, uh, like uh, mentally mentally wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, with a 15, it's gonna mess with her mentally because she's only 15. That's gonna mess with her, and yada yada yada. All these excuses. I was okay with uh, with the suspension of Shakari uh, uh, Richardson. Richardson. Why? Because she obviously broke the rules. I was okay. I was happy. This girl broke the rules. I don't give a fuck if she's 10, 15, 17, 25, 35, 45. You broke the rules. There's consequences. And for the Olympics to come out and say, like, well, there's no consequences. We would just have, we won't have a ceremony if she places in the first three places. That is so fucked up to the, to, to even the other competitors. Like, let's say if she wins gold, the silver medalist and the bronze are not going to get to, uh, the, the, the moment that they, that they earned. Yeah. They're not going to be up in the podium because a 15 year old decided to take, her grandpa's medication or some shit like that. Yeah. Like, come on now. Like, age has nothing to do with this shit. I, I, people, I've seen so many people like, well, she's only fit. I don't give a fuck. At 15 years old, I knew what I was doing. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. Like, for the Olympics to come out and say, like, whoa, blah, blah, blah. Is it is it considered a performance enhancing yes. substance? Yes. Okay. Well, that's the reason it was flagged. Yeah. Okay. The, that's what she t- and and Russia, funny enough, is suspended from any yeah. competitive sports or whatever around the world. They can't compete under the Russian flag they were, because they were doping their players. Yes, their because athletes. they were doping their players, their athletes. Yeah. Yep. Go watch Icarus. It's a great documentary. Like, what are we doing? We need to hold the same standards to every athlete not because she's 15 she, she's not held to the same uh, standards as other athletes are over 18 I don't give a like I don't care I don't care so 
for that reason, I'm not even going to say shit, but for that reason, <laughs> the Olympics, the Olympics committee, you're going to have to do me a favor and hold this L. Trevor Twidwell, who's holding the L for you this week? All right, man. I have never once talked about this on this podcast, and I've always refrained from talking about it in general, on or off the air, on or off the, whatever. I just, it's always just been a thing I never felt mattered. It still doesn't really, but unfortunately for a big amount of people and news outlets, it seems to matter a whole lot. And this is the topic of Patrick Mahomes' fiance, Brittany, his brother, Jackson, and I'm not even going to talk about them really in general because I personally don't care. They can do whatever they want to do. That is their freedom as an individual, as individuals. I don't really see them as a distraction because it only is a distraction if you let it distract you and you're giving them the attention that you think is warranted, whatever. Anyways, it's gotten so bad to the point where Patrick Mahomes has had to come out and on Twitter and publicly say, you know, <laughs> pretty much say y'all are just making stuff up. That's embarrassing to me as not only a Chiefs fan, but a fan of the person that is Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Um, you know, and we know we are fairly connected with some of the people that are close to him, family, friends, whatever. Um, and I'm sure it annoys them as well. I don't know. I'm not going to put everybody's name out there. I don't know. I'm not going to say what people's personal opinions are of the, on the matter, but it, it's getting to a high point here, though, um, to where it's there's false reports coming out. Uh, it was just reported that the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, uh, um, well, reportedly that he had had a sit-down with Brittany, his fiance, and his brother, and told them that he doesn't want them to attend games. Uh, you know, he sat down with his brother and, and his fiance and told them that they're, they're pretty much that they are a distraction, and he doesn't want them to uh, attend home games. And that's I think that's what sparked Pat to actually have to come out and say, you know, enough is enough. You guys are just making stuff up at this point. Uh, and it was reported by um, Rich Orenberger, uh, former NFL player turned analyst on TV and TV and radio, relayed the message from a source. Source uh, Orenberger tweeted that Mahomes believed Matthew, Matthews and Jackson had become a distraction. And so this has been making its rounds. Everyone's probably seen anyone who tied in on Twitter or social medias in general. Um, so Pat had to come out and pretty much debunk that. TMZ has come out and debunked such things. I know we touched on it a little bit in the show today, but I just kind of wanted to reiterate that. And let alone the ignorance that is Barstool Sports. Posting a clip talking about everyone's favorite couple of him supposedly saying something to Brittany that may or might not have been said or what she may or may not have said. And we're reading lips at this point, trying to read into a story. Look, man, I'm not going to say much more and, and read much more into it because there's probably endless things you can see on social media. Um, but this, for me to come out and say stuff like about this now, like... I, n I never want to talk about this stuff. I don't really think it matters at all. I don't think it's a distraction to Patrick Mahomes. I think he is a competitive person. On, he, when he's when it's football focused, he understands that. I don't think he's looking at social media. But now it's getting to him where it's consistently bombarding him. The only distraction is those that are creating it as a distraction. This is his fiance, guys. This is his brother. These are people he's grown up with his whole life. This is something that is is just as much him as he is him, right? These people are in his DNA. So it's not a distraction him in his career. I don't. I've never believed that. Mm -hmm. um, whether you, everyone's on social media now, his fiance, his brother, they have their. They do. They put their their information on there. So they got to deal with whatever they put out there. That's fine. That's on them. But as far as it becoming a, a national thing now, Barstool's taking this and, and everyone's recording and, and and developing stories out of things that don't even exist. It's starting to frustrate me. 
I'm sure it's frustrating a lot of people, but unfortunately, a lot of people are reading into it and buying it. It's such red meat for everyone right now. Um, it's probably only going to get worse as the offseason goes, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, and I hate that. I hate that for Patrick, because that's what makes me the most upset is this is now infiltrating Patrick's offseason after coming off the, the biggest loss of his career. This is not what he needs. Yeah. Not that anyone outside of Chiefs Kingdom cares what Patrick really needs. They want a sexy story. They want things to talk about. They want the red meat, like I said. But I've had enough of it, man. I'm sure, obviously, obviously Patrick's had enough of it as well. Um, and it's just, it's unfortunate that this is, these are the stories coming out right now. Uh, people are just literally just making things up out of thin air. Uh, people are talking about sources and it's his personal relationship with his fiance and his brother, guys. Now we're just going to make up things about made up meetups and he's having them sit down and not attend games now. Like we've got to stop this madness. It's really starting to get out of control, to be honest. Let these people live. Let these people do what they do. You don't have to like them. If you don't like them, guess what? You don't have, You can unfollow them. You don't have to see shit. You can unfollow all their social medias. You can unfollow Patrick Mahomes if you want, if you want to go crazy. You know what I mean? It, it, you have that option. So I hope they all take that that route because I don't want to see these made-up stories anymore. I don't want to – that's, that's the true distraction of Patrick Mahomes is these made-up stories from people that don't really matter because he has these people in his life for a reason because he loves and he cares about them and he cherishes their relationships with him and his personal life. I don't want to. I don't want to see any more of it. Not that I, my opinion matters. Is going to stop stop any of it from happening. I'm just sick and tired of it. This is the first time I've ever voiced my opinion on the show. So, all these faux news media outlets, Barstool Sports, y'all continue just to be great at being terrible. Um, all you good people, all these talking heads that claim sources and all these dispatch my home stories and just want to live their lives through by vicariously through. These people that are into Patrick Mahomes' life and want to make up stories about his life and that he has to come out and voice his opinion on. All of you people that are in that sphere, do me a solid favor, please, and hold this L. You know how hard it is to make Doug Gottlieb look good? That's difficult. Is he still around? He's still a thing. <laughs> and it, it's really difficult to make him look like the bigger person in a situation. Emmanuel Acho found a way to do oh, that this boy. week. I'm glad you're doing it. So, in, in case you missed it, and I, I'm not even going to give. Uh, usually, I like I like to let people. Like, I'll play the audio, but I'm I'm not even going to bother because the lowest it, of fruits. Sam Acho and Emmanuel Acho, uh, two brothers, obviously that both played in the NFL for a very very brief time. Uh, Sam Acho works for for ESPN. He's on First Take every once in a while. Emmanuel Acho has his own show called Speak for Itself with uh, Marcellus Wiley, which we all know is a just a stand up guy. Um, Doug Gottlieb put a tweet out there after because Sam Acho's take uh, was needless to say made headlines. And what his take was on First Take was he had a his top five quarterback list, and he didn't have Patrick Mahomes on it. Now. You guys know that I think he, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. I think that's been proven. If you want to say that he's the second best, I'll hear you out. I'll disagree with you, but I'll hear you out. If you don't have him in your top three, I'm walking away from the conversation. If you are if you don't have him in your top five, I'm calling the cops. Because you, you need to be arrested for just pure insanity and stupidity. Well, Sam Ocho, I almost called the cops on him. It wouldn't have worked out because I live about 1,800 miles away from him. 
And he got checked by his own host. I'm sure that there was some yeah. plant in it. You know, we're like, hey, we're going to say this and it's going to drive Look ratings up because we're so desperate for those these days. Yeah. Uh, well, Doug Gottlieb, who works on the Fox Sports side of things with Emmanuel Acho, because Emmanuel Acho also works for FS1. Doug Gottlieb put out a tweet that night and says, quote, if you don't think Pat Mahomes is one of the best five, one of the five best quarterbacks in football, you probably shouldn't talk about football for a living, dot, 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 or to friends, dot, 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 or to strangers. Well, that, that got a lot of attention. Well, Emmanuel Acho, the brother of Sam Acho, who made the original take, decided to come out and, and defend for his brother. And he said, quote, you got a real slick mouth for being a backup on the court and on television. You got to pick a struggle. So Doug Gottlieb responds to Emmanuel and says, Jesus. quote, when you have no defense for your brother's indefensible take, you go at the messenger. And then Emmanuel Acho responds to that. Quote, my brother's take was trash. But so was your career as a pro athlete and on-air personality. So could we can agree there is a trash, there is trash all around. You keep take talking slick on Twitter like you somebody. Ask Colin Coward. He literally added Colin Coward in this. Act Colin Coward to take a day off so you can get some air time again. And then I believe Doug Gottlieb finished it with said, what, what a dick or something like that. And it just kind of went over it from there. But what's funny about Emmanuel's stance on this, and again, I have three younger brothers, and if someone whenever was to say something about my brothers, I would defend my brothers, even if they were wrong. But what's funny is that Gottlieb never called out Sam Acho. He was talking about the take mm-hmm. and how just it's ridiculous because it is. And Emmanuel Acho himself admitted it was trash. He said trash take. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all Gottlieb was saying. And yet Emmanuel decides to go personal and call out Doug Gottlieb, who, by the way, did not have a great career. He was really good in college. I think he led the NCAA assist a couple times. But he never made it to the pros. I think he was on a very short stint. He played in Europe and things like that. And he has been kind of a fill-in guy throughout his uh, radio career. But Doug Gottlieb has had some success. And this is coming from somebody who's not a fan at all of Doug Gottlieb. Can't stand the guy. I think he's terrible in a lot of ways. But for Emmanuel Acho, a guy... Who did make the pros and had 20 tackles in his career and played two full seasons in his career is going to say that someone else had a trash career? And here's what's funny about Emmanuel Acho. He's on the show called Speak for Yourself. And what's funny about the name is they're usually speaking for themselves with their takes because they have probably the worst takes in all of sports media. And that's saying something because Skip Bayless still exists. Yeah. And it's just so funny to see FS1 on FS1 Crime, too, because both these guys work for the same company. And they're out here killing each other in front of the world. That is such... I mean, you can say it's good PR, because any good any PR is good PR, but when it's, when it's, when it's, when it's brotherhood on brotherhood crime, yeah. I think that's pretty bad, man. And it's Sam Acho is, is the one that deserves all the disrespect for this one, because he's the one that started this damn fire. Yeah. And now you got his brother, who's already looking like a dumbass himself, make himself look even more like a dumbass. Yet, Sam Acho made himself the dumber of the Achos, which is very difficult to do, while also Emmanuel Acho making Gottlieb look like a victim in all this. That's an incredible achievement for one Acho to be the worst of Achos, and the other Acho making Doug Gottlieb look good. Emmanuel Acho, Sam Acho, the entire Acho family, do we a fucking solid and hold this L. Goddamn. Yeah, it was... Attacking the person, not the argument. That's rule I mean, he one. came from a as rule number one. You he don't went right for his junk. Yeah, he could have said like, "Hey, bro, like, or something like DM'd him message." I'm sure they have each but other's he, phone but numbers. But then he agreed with him. Yeah, exactly. Like, then he, uh, two he calls takes his own later, take trash. Like, okay, well, so God, if Godly came out and said it was trash, 
Would it have been okay? Because you just said that about your own brother. So I, it's, that's weird, man. He got a really slick mouth. He didn't say anything about your brother. He just said it was a horrible take. Yeah. It was. You admitted it. Uh, goddamn. <laughs> so this was a fun show, guys. We had so much to unpack. I, I feel like we could have kept going, but I know that uh, Eddie needs a nap. So we're yeah. and, and I'm sure our guy Shane's probably I'll taking a nap now, too. But... Nevertheless, we are, like our guy Shaggy Shane said, we're staying optimistic because, guys, it, it's the run's not over. Is it going to be a different type of run? Yes. Do we hope Andy Reid runs the ball more? Yes. But I, I'm telling you guys right now, if you think that this is done, if you think the Chiefs are done contending for Super Bowls, you're out of your mind. In my opinion, this is actually just getting started. I know that we're four years into it, but this is the type of thing where I told you guys, I think this will rival the Patriots dynasty. I know people think that's nuts, but you got to remember history. you got to remember it accurately because the Patriots won early in the Tom Brady era. Then they went nine years in the middle of the Tom Brady era without winning a single Super Bowl. Yep. I'll take one year. Yeah. I'll take two years, like the Chiefs now currently have, over nine years. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be nine years before the Chiefs win another Super Bowl, guys. Right. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be a great era of football. It is the golden age of football. Patrick Mahomes is just in his mid-20s. We haven't even seen prime Mahomes yet. I hope you guys understand that this thing is really just now kicking off, literally and figuratively. I wish the football season was starting now so we can get right back into the swing of things. But nevertheless, man, we have so much to chew on and decipher through this offseason. I hope you guys are ready because I know we are. We're not stopping. We're going to be here. So tag along with this, guys. We're going to have some great guests in the offseason. We're going to talk NBA. We're going to talk MLB if those motherfuckers ever decide to get their greed in check. But nevertheless, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for the great Clay Winler that puts all this bad, this bad, I almost said bad stuff, this badass show together. <laughs> I believe show. that's what we have. <laughs> for our guy Shaggy Shane Williams for chiming in and being a part of this show today. For the entire Mahomes family, because we support you guys, we love you guys, and we appreciate you guys. Fuck Barstool. Fuck all these other rich Ornbergers motherfuckers that want to sit out here and make up shit and then say somebody made this up and let me know about it. Fuck you guys. I appreciate the Mahomes family for what they do. We appreciate, appreciate Patrick Mahomes here in Kansas City. For all these people that I just mentioned above, I'm Lance Twidwell. The Spoken Podcast, episode 155 is done, finished, and finito until we're back here one week from today for 156. We out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoken. I might actually stick, I might actually stick around for a little bit.